In the beginning, William Morales picked up a ball and ran with it. This is widely regarded as a bad idea that made a lot of people very angry. Yeah, I would, I would vouch for that. I think that I've got angry a lot of times as a consequence of that happening. Yeah, one of the times that I not got angry but was bemused was during the game we're about to talk about, South Africa 30, Tonga 25 from the 2007 Rugby World Cup, during which the commentator said a particularly bizarre line that gets away from it as he's saying it. Where, when discussing the whole situation with England where they have been rubbish they have been. in this tournament yeah but they still have to do the let's talk about england because it's the itv yes. coverage you know so they have to get back to england somehow and like england are rubbish they talk about there's a prospect that england could go out in the group stage if they lose to samoa which they're talking about here as a real possibility yeah and then to tonga and that's a different samoa to the one that they repeatedly refer to as playing in this game yes yeah the so the samoa that they are playing that afternoon they could lose to and the samoa that they're playing south africa in this game suddenly stand up and are fantastic yeah and they're going oh this could be this could be dangerous here this could be troubling so the commentator says well one of the commentators says if England lose to the Pacific Islands, that could be a huge sea change in rugby. And the main commentator says, that wouldn't just be a sea change. That would be a, then he pauses for a moment and goes, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of World Cups. I wonder why he mentioned Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Admittedly, I didn't go back and check what the context it was. doesn't make any sense no. as a term. <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in the context of the thing, is a book. Right? It is a book. Outside the context of the thing, it's a book. What he's saying is it would be a book. Yeah. Either an encyclopedia or a science fiction book. Yeah. Of a result. Not, not a, I don't, it's not like he's saying, oh, it'd be a massive fiction of a thing to happen, because it would happen. I didn't understand his point at all, but it, it, it made me really think. Yeah. Maybe, uh, there's some kind of joke to be made about Martin Johnson, the paranoid android, maybe. Nice. This is as close nice. as you get as an English rugby player to Marvin. Yeah. Well, I mean, the England hung in the pool in much the way the brick didn't. Nice, you know, yeah, the, the thing and the, the the opening. That we was could, a book. Yeah, look, I was baffled by that. Yeah, I'm hoping to be equally baffled as we run down through this genuinely excellent, very entertaining game. Yeah. So I said at the end of the last episode, and a few times throughout this series of the podcast, and a lot off air, that this is the single game of the 2007 Rugby World Cup mm. that I was most excited to watch, and it delivered in spades. Going into this, I'd wondered whether I had actually seen this game before, because mm. growing up, you will remember, I had a fascination with Tongan rugby mm. as a teenager. For some reason, I, was, I just had this weird fascination with Tonga and where they've come from, and like the players that they used to have, you know, legends of Tonga. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact, at this era, and the era immediately following this 2007 World Cup, there was a lot of Tongan players playing in Wales. Yeah, there were. Yeah. So there's a lot of Tongans. And it actually goes back to the 80s. That's it, though. It's it's still the case today, but now they're all Welsh qualified. Yes. You know. Well, that's the thing. We go back to... We talked about it on the 87 tour. Yeah. But the year before that, in 86, Wales had gone on the tour in Tonga. Yeah. And a bunch of the players they just brought back to come mm. and play with them. Yeah. And, and now we have all their kids playing for us, yeah. which is amazing, because they're all class. But I think it led to a big heritage and a big kind of link between the two yeah. nations. Yeah. That I think has... In some ways, died down now, but also it's stronger than ever because of the sure. Tupolotus and the Falatau. And that's it. Like you look at Sioni Tupolotu is the starting nine for Tonga in this yeah. game. Who we've talked about this before, but his daughter Cecilia Tupolotu is now one of Wales's star players mm. and ha- has been in the TikTok Six Nations that's just gone by. And there is such a strong link, as you say. And growing up watching players like Maama Molatika and Tofau Felice playing for Cardiff. 
who were legends as far as I was and concerned. Both of them have had players coming through the age grade pathway. Yeah. Well, Tikasun didn't quite make it, but played in the World Premiership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a then, championship, yeah. Yeah, you've got Felice Jr. is currently coming through the Cardiff system. Must be about 15, 16 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is an absolute unit looking at Neva Felice's social media. But yes, so I had this fascination with Tom and rugby growing up. And naturally, before the 2011 Rugby World Cup, mm. when I was learning kind of the Tong and team and everything around it, I looked back at the 2007 World Cup and saw, oh, they were very successful at the 2007 mm. tournament. That's seen as one of the greater Tongan teams of, of history, really. And this game stood out as, oh, wait, they nearly beat the Springboks, who won the tournament. Like, yeah. Are they the closest team to beating the Springboks in the whole tournament? They probably are, or not far I think off. they are. I believe they are, yeah. Yeah, they, they probably come closer than anybody else. Uh, no spoilers. We'll see what the quarterfinals and semifinals have to offer. But... The fact of that really enticed me, and I wasn't sure if I had watched this back before. Mm. And then when the first try was scored in this game, I realised, no, I've never seen that before. Yeah. But there are key moments of this that I have seen over and over again, and seeing them in context makes them so much better. I've seen the last 15 minutes before. Yeah. And I've watched that a few times. Yeah. Yet when you watch it fully in context, it hits differently. It does. It fully does. This is, of all of the games from this tournament... I don't know, I think the second half of this game is the one most, most worth watching back. I'd agree, I'd agree. I think, I think this France, is the best game of the tournament so Argentina far. is a huge occasion that is like yes. a standout thing, but I think that game itself isn't as I'll put it exciting this as this. If you want to get excited for the 2023 Rugby World Cup, watch yeah. by that France-Argentina game. Okay. So it's an opening round of the tournament, it's in Stade de France, the atmosphere is incredible, it's an occasion as you say. Whereas this is the best game of rugby I've seen in this tournament, this is one of the best games I've ever covered in this podcast, I'd say. Wow, okay, that is a big statement. Considering we covered Georgia-Romania for the 2011 Rugby World yeah, Cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but, but this is, a, yeah, it's a fantastic game. We spend a lot of this podcast doing games like... That Argentina Georgia game or whatever it was, where you know it's on a Tuesday that night, Scotland Romania game. It's very windy, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you get stuff like that, and that's great, and that's funny, right? Mm. But stuff like this, I look at and go like, no, this is this is truly worth covering. And this sixteen is years on, another thing, right? They do say at the end of the game there is a tongue and losing bonus point that'll live long in the memory. People talk about for a very long time. I don't think they're expecting a podcast which was just about a thing back in two thousand and seven. You know, it's early days of podcasts. They probably weren't expecting a full what will end up being a four-hour podcast yeah on quite. this game then but i think you knew at the time this was going to be a standout occasion yeah. obviously we'll get to it when we get there but at the end of the game when all of the tongans mm. have that massive huddle and they're all crouched down doing their prayers and everything and you've got finale maca who is just bellowing into everyone about how proud he is and how much he loved and just enjoyed every minute of that. Mm. It's just what Test Rugby is all about for me. And the Rugby World Cup Exactly, it, but it's the kind of game that only happens in World Cups. It is. Because I think in a non-World Cup, this game is decided and it stays decided. Yeah. So, again, without whatever. South Africa pull ahead at one point in the second half yes. and then Tonga come back. And I think that this happens in an autumn international or in a summer tour or anywhere of a period of time. Tonga don't come back. Yeah. I think there's something about the alchemy of the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Both as an occasion that you've aimed to peak towards, the time they have together as a squad, you know, yeah. they haven't come together three weeks before and played two games. Visits that they go for. spent so long in KFC. So, so many. So much orange food. juice drank in pubs. Yeah. And it kind of all builds when you then throw in a neutral crowd who will naturally get behind the underdog. Mm. That gives a massive lift. And Tonga suddenly produces this performance that they couldn't have produced. 
yeah. at any other time. Definitely. Like, I think the circumstances of having a really big crowd in to watch this fixture. Crowd were great, weren't they? Yeah. On a neutral occasion, only happens in the World yeah. Cup. Yeah. And the chance of Tonga, Tonga, Tonga get louder and louder as the game goes on. Worth noting, actually, the stadium, right? Yeah. Stade Felix Buard in Lens, which is not a traditional rugby town, no. it's a football town. Okay. Right? Is a really interesting stadium. Okay. So there are 40,000 people there, right? 40,069. Nice. A lovely, lovely figure, right? So bloody big stadium. The population of Lons, the town, is 32,000. Oh my God. So wow. they built a stadium, right? Which has an 8,000. There are 8,000 more people can fit into their stadium than the population of the town. That's phenomenal. They love their football over there. They love their football. Wow. That's brilliant. That's so good. It was a really nice stadium. I I didn't really give it much thought, but I hadn't Mm. seen this before. But I don't know. It just suited the occasion, I thought. The crowd. It was first used in the 99 World Cup. Uh, They had a couple of games there in the 99 World Cup, which is the first time it's ever used for rugby. But it was built for the 84 Euros. Okay. And then kept the kind of like town stadium. Fair I've got enough. no idea how they pack it out, how big their crowds are yeah. to watch them play in the football. Yeah, they must love it though. And they must have, you know, a lot of people in neighboring towns and stuff who mm. are really, really into of, it. The La Rochelle thing, right? La Rochelle holds a third of the town's population and sell out every single week. Yeah. Right. That is a very different thing to actually having a stadium bigger than your population. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's brilliant. And yeah, such a fitting place for this game, I think. Mm. And I will preface this, before we get into this podcast, I am, throughout this, going to be extremely biased to Tonga, because how could you not be watching this back? The Springboks, they don't need my support, they're brilliant. Yeah. They've got some of the best players in the world playing they for them. They do all right in this World Cup. Yeah, they, they, they don't do too bad. Hey, and I, I love this Springbok team, right? They can mm. do without me for one day. Yeah, it's worth noting as well, right? The game this hosted, the stadium hosted in 1999, mm-hmm. was Argentina beating Ireland in the quarterfinal playoff because Ireland didn't even make it to the quarterfinal <laughs> that time. to get to that. So it's a, it's a stadium that has known nothing but upsets mm. in the Rugby World Cup. I guess this wasn't quite an upset, but in what, a way it was. When you saw this on the cards, right, you thought, oh, anything could happen here. Yeah. It then went on to host George and Namibia later in the pool okay. stage. Yeah. Before the game starts, they speak on the comms about this and say... It's very unlikely that Tonga will win. Yeah. And, you know, they're talking about, well, South Africa do need to show them respect, of course, but we imagine that South Africa will run away with this. And mm. that's not an unfair prediction, given the Samoa game that South Africa played, where Samoa were in it for a m- majority part of it, but then eventually Brian Habana went on and scored four tries, mm. you know? And the England game where they absolutely battered them. It's entirely fair enough to assume that South Africa were run away with this. That's it, right? So Tonga beat Samoa with a late try in the last 10 minutes to win it from a mm. ball, having been behind and been not really in the game most of the time, yes. right? South Africa beat Samoa 59-7. Like, you're thinking here, oh, maybe they'll win 59-12. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the level of prediction you're looking at. Or potentially 40, not 50. Yeah, know? exactly. But you see the teams come out, and before the national anthems even start, just look how pumped Tonga are. Yeah. They're so up for this. So I think the really interesting thing about this, actually, is Tonga look really pumped as they head out. They then do the anthem, 
and they're not interested in the anthem. No. Like, it is... Normally, when you see teams produce these kind of performances and come out that pumped, the anthem is outstanding. The Tongan anthem is nothing. It's not it's really... Not, it's not a good anthem. It's not like, up it's, to much. No. Not, I don't mean the anthem itself. I mean, the rendition yeah. of the anthem is standard. Yeah. It's like 6 out of 10. Yeah. Right? They then get to the sip it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's oh. this like complete shift in energy. It's like they just, they deliberately known they were not going to put any effort into the anthem to like min max <laughs> and put it all into the sippy towel. But what I love is they don't go overboard on the sippy towel. Sure. Because Neely Latu is such an imposing mm. figure when he does anything to do with rugby, frankly. Yes. But like the sippy towel, when he's doing that and he's yelling at people, as there was with the Samoan one when they had the little battle between the sippy towel and the sivatal. When Neely Latu leads that, I feel like he doesn't go as aggressive with it as he did with the previous couple of games we've seen Tonga play because it's just like he's showing them no respect. It's yeah. like, we don't, yeah. give a, we don't give a shit about you. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna do the sippy towel exactly the same on the scareometer as we do any other week. Mm. And I love that. If they were watching a hacker, they wouldn't do a standoff. They're just going, okay. Yeah. And what? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that in reverse. They're giving them the sippy towel and going like, we're going to do this as we normally do. And it's going to be terrifying, but we do not respect you at all. Yeah. Yeah. But also, they are terrifying. They are terrifying. And we shouldn't ignore that. Look at those fuckers. They are huge, they are scary, and they are here to kill you. Yeah, no nonsense. It's the interesting thing about the lyrics of the Sipitat, right, is that they are rugby related. They talk yes. about the forwards and the backs and everything else. But also, it is incredibly threatening in a way that rugby asks you to control your discipline and control your aggression. Yes. Where the Sipitat asks you, you're going to play rugby, but with deaths yeah look i think it's not an unfair criticism of this particular tonga team that controlling their aggression is potentially the one thing they lack on it's the one area where maybe it's a bit of a work on i mean we saw what happened with harley to polo in the last game he's missing (laughs) this one band (laughs) yeah i wonder why not for one specific incident just for being a complete psychopath is why they've banned him yeah so it leads to an atmosphere that slowly builds I think as the game goes on, South Africa, to look at their team first, yes. came into this with an enormously changed lineup. Yeah. They, I think, rested most of their big stars. They did the classic trick of putting them all on the bench though. Just in case you need them. Just yeah. in case. They won't though. They'll be fine. No, you no, know, like, run away with it. Hapana will stay on the bench the entire game. Matfield might get three minutes. Yeah. You know, exactly. it'll be fine. You know, John Schmidt might get ten minutes just. Yeah. Just You've to got get some continuity. Schmidt and Bota there because you might need to overpower them a bit later on to kind of sure. take their legs away from them. Sure, a bit, you know, but they shouldn't need need not them. need them. No, yeah, not Francois staying. You can probably try him, see if he works the ten yeah, kind he's of deal. A youngster, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it's still a bloody strong team on the whole. Let's talk about the highlights of the team mm. first because there's plenty of. There's them. one real highlight of the team, and I think we're both agreed on it at one glance. Go on, number nine shirt. Yes. One Mr. Enrico January. I'll tell you what. So when I was watching this game yesterday, our mother came into the room mm. and I said, I'm watching a game for the podcast and the two nines are Ricky January and Cecilia's dad. And she was like, <laughs> what? Cecilia's dad was a scrum off. <laughs> and her words were exactly, he must have married a big woman. <laughs> the thing is, right, if you looked at these two and went, which scrum off is going to produce an enormous tight head prop? <laughs> It's probably, probably not Tupelotto you're looking at. Yeah. They're both units. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Both of these, if they came through now, would be hawkers. Yes. Because they're agile. Yeah. No one's taken that away from them. They're agile. 
the great I think Ricky January could work as a Crash Ball 12 right because sure. the sure. thing about Ricky January that was really specific is his vision was unlike any of and I talked about the 2011 series but unlike almost any other player in the history of the sure. game like he could spot things at a glance that even like Fauri Dupree wasn't spotting <laughs> sure. you know like that is the thing that set him apart he was only a scrum half because of his sheer like ability to scan a rugby pitch just the speed of his brain was so much quicker than the speed of his legs yes and like everything else especially when you get kind of to about 2010 yeah. right and he starts to slow down about there like he's already the world cup is the last time he attends a conditioning camp i think yeah like yeah. he's kind of this is the last time we see him in proper shape as sure. a professional rugby player sure. i think that you couldn't call him a baller could you <laughs> no. but you could say he is a great rugby mind yes exactly exactly he just, he saw the game incredibly well. And he wasn't that kind of like Excellent George player. Ford or Fauri Dupree player who's no. like a coach on the field, right? He was just someone who just spotted things. He just yeah. spotted things. He could do things on instinct. Got such that a were enormous. For, so you kind of have to pick him at nine or ten. Yeah. But he is not built for it. No, no. <laughs> But he's great. Yeah. I've got a lot of time for Ricky January. I think he's an excellent player. Oh, I love him. I love him. I, I love think... watching him. Like, it's such a delight we've got to watch him again. Yeah, exactly. In his potentially prime? Who yeah. knows? One Hard of these tell. things, right, where he's never going to make an all-time team. No. And, like, when we come to the drafts and so on, he's probably not a player we're going to pick. But I love him. Yes. Like, I almost want us to add a category in the draft for player, Novelty. like, yeah, was not first choice <laughs> yeah, as an yeah. addition to go on the bench. I like that. I like that. Well, maybe I, think about that. Yeah, I love Ricky January. I'd love to have him in some sort of team of, like, favourite players who weren't my favourite players. Yeah. But I love. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Looking at other highlights of the team, I think in the back row, looking at Danny Rousseau moving to seven this week mm. with Bobby Skinstad captaining from the eight shirt. Both very experienced players and probably much needed firepower in the pack to face these yeah. Tongans. I think that the biggest name on the team sheet is Backy's Border. Yes. Certainly in that pack, the biggest name is Backy's Border. Like, There's no one gets through him. A great moment really early in the game where after a scrum, Wayne Barnes has blown a penalty to South Africa and he sees Backy's Border reach for someone's boot and open his mouth and <laughs> Barnes blows his whistle and runs over and stands over him because <laughs> he sees it coming in slow motion. It's great because Backy's Border can have games of rugby and has had games of rugby where he does virtually nothing and makes mm. an impact because yeah. he is that much of a presence. He, he's so physically terrifying and you know not to get in his way. And he's just, because he's the size he is, but he's also able to use his size, right? Yeah. He is such a physical presence that without being a physical presence, he's like, he had so much weight to the scrum, the maul, yes. the, everything else, like, he's impossible to shift in a ruck yeah. because he's got technique as well. Yeah. So he if he is hitting the bare minimum of work rate required from an international second row, right? And he did more than that. Yes. But even if he was hitting the bare minimum, he is having a disproportionate impact because of his combination of technique, Correct. size, yeah. power, ability to know... Like, very few players have known how to use their bulk, like Backy's Bolter. Yeah. Like, yeah. he is one of the all-time greats for the fact that he knew how to use his size. Yeah, at being, and I mean this purely as a compliment, a fat bastard. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, nothing gets through him. Like, I wouldn't say that to his face. The absolute, yeah, no. He's the absolute dream pro de duh second row. Yeah, he is. Like, he is, he is what he's every... prototype. Yeah. Every second row in the pro de duh is either the one bastard in the team who can jump yeah. or <laughs> aiming to be back his border. Yeah. 
Exactly. Because then you can do other stuff around the park in the pro day dirt. Exactly. <laughs> you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Cozy got a shopping trolley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd say he's one of the t- probably two nailed on world class players in this starting lineup for South Africa. Mm-hmm. The other one I would say, JP Peterson. Was, oh yeah, is utterly world class. This is and JP Peterson coming into his prime. Yeah, you know, just kind of the starting point of him being a real world class yeah. talent. And he has a few touches in that second half yeah. where he is at his best. He was unplayable. I think JP Peterson had an interesting career, right? Mm. Because he bursts through and is this incredible talent, but he bursts through right after Brian Habana's burst through. Yeah. So he always is a little bit when he's in his prime when he's at his best. He's a little bit in Brian Habana's shadow. And I think that's a good thing for him. But he then has this problem, right? Where he goes off the boil and he kind of drops off from his form before Habana does. Yeah. So he never has his moment either side. Sure. He ends up having that brief spell at Leicester Tigers where he was kind of... Yeah, playing 13. He went full Ricky January. Yeah. And was not in the best condition, had lost his pace, Mm. was not the player he once was. And then eventually did refind it and did, you know, come back into his own. I think the fact... When he went back to the Sharks. I think the fact that Brian Habana kind of towered over him was almost the best thing for him mm. because he was so flash on the ball and so such a brilliant defender and kick chaser and just technical winger that people spent so much time worrying about Habana that they forgot about Peterson mm. and what he brought because he was world-class basically all of the time when Habana was, just 1% less world-class than Habana. The fascinating thing about Dick Peterson as well here, right, is 2007, he had just finished the Super 14, Super Rugby, whatever, you know, Super 14 at the time, as the top try scorer in the competition. He was close to breaking a record. I believe he did break the record for South African team. Okay. Huge break for a year for him of going like sure. from talented youngster to this guy is a serious talent who we need in the team. Like yeah. first name on the team sheet kind of deal, right? Sure. He then the following season does score a single try. Really? In Super Rugby. Man, second season syndrome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like Mad. absolute, like vintage second Thing season is, syndrome. History won't remember that. No. No. And nor should it. No. 12 tries from 15 games Wow, in okay. that year, leading in. To just run through quickly, so Rowan Pino's playing fullback, which is mm. weird. I've not seen him start a test at fullback before. He, Yeah, he's done it a few times. I know, yeah. He went on but... to do it against the All Blacks a couple of years later. Okay, yeah. But it was sort of, I think him being messed around as a fly-off and a fullback, and then yeah. sometimes like even being put on the wing for brief or, periods yeah, and so on. Yeah, 12 a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what led to him moving to Ulster and being like, I want to be a scrum off. Yeah. He infamously chose Ulster because of all the offers on the table, they were the one who went, we will let you play scrum off. If you want to play scrum off, we will put up like, you know, place for your wife and family and everything to come over. Yeah. And we're really like good and to we his will demands. build an entire game plan around you. Yeah. They <laughs> didn't go, off. we want to bring you over because you're brilliant and we will pay you lots of money. Yeah. They went, we'll think about you as a person and as a rugby player, yeah. what you want and what's yeah. best for you. And you know what? It led to him, as we said on that Gareth Mason episode, one of the best overseas signings a European club has ever made. Definitely. If not the... Yeah, like he's in contact. He's, he's top three, I think. Yeah. Like in my time watching, yeah, I think he might be the. I I struggle. Wilkinson think of a at Toulon, player. Um, oh yes, yeah. Wilkinson at Toulon, Pinar at Ulster. Yeah, and I don't know if there's. I don't know who's else is there. It's tough to think in one, terms of players who have elevated their club and made a genuine impact. Yeah, for beyond them leaving. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah, absolutely. Like there's a handful of like Rocky Elsa had a brilliant spell spell at Leinster, right? He was there for less than a year. Exactly, There's a yeah. few like those where players had an immediate impact and a huge impact at a club, 
but none with the longevity that yeah. he had. Yeah. And you look at like John Cooney and even like Nathan Doak now. Yeah. Like, do those players happen in the way they did without Pinar? Probably not. You can make an argument for like someone like Gareth Steenson at Exeter, right? Sure. Which was a hell of a time. They got him cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And he just worked out perfectly for the game plan they built. Yeah. But in terms of a player who's elevated the club on their personality and their talent. Correct. Pinar. Pinar is like almost far and above. Now, I think there's two different ways we need to discuss this Southampton team. We've mm. talked about the highlights, and then there's a load of players that I've never heard of. <laughs> because at this point, right, I wasn't watching rugby mm. at this stage, and there's a lot of players who were clearly informed club players who had made it onto the plane and were seen as second-choice players who were given an opportunity here to see what they can do. I think the headline amongst those, right, yeah. Wayne Julie's at 12. Who the hell is Wayne Julie? So he'd been called up a week earlier for Jean de Villiers. Right. He'd bicep in the opening game. Okay. So he'd arrived in France a week earlier and they shoved him right in. Fascinating career, Wayne Julie's, right? Before you do that, have you heard of Wayne Julie's? No. No. No, I haven't. Do you think he's real? I mean, I'm not convinced. Like, at least when I saw Ashwin Willemser I mean, on the wing, I was like, oh, oh that he's, sounds like he could be a yeah, real he's player. A, even though he's I've a never real player. No, I'd heard it. I knew, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, but that's a super rugby player who yeah, I've just yeah, not yeah, seen yeah. play before. Yeah, he's a player in form. Yeah, you know, he's exactly. That, that's South African winger that there's like 800 off. Yeah, exactly. You know. it's, it's Edwin van der Merwe. Yeah, yes, man. exactly. Edwill, sorry. Leonin Zaz. Yeah, you know, exactly. They produce endless Rabs numbers. Rabs Maxwane, yeah. Rabs Maxwane is different. He is special. He is the greatest rugby player that's ever... He is just... Probably the greatest South African rugby player of all time. I think so. I think it's yeah. Floyd Dupree and him, yeah. like, level, you know. Yeah. I'm um, January. Yeah. I just think Ralph McSwane is... He's class. I he's class. Love I love him. I love him. He's brilliant. Anyway. Put him in the spring box. Talk, talk to me about Anything Wayne Anything that Pimpy could do, he this, could do twice. <laughs> this film character you've made up, Wayne yes, Julies. Wayne Julies, which is a ridiculous edited name. edited into this game. So, Wayne Julies won his first cap for the spring box in the 99 World Cup. Did he? Against Spain. Okay. Not what I was expecting. No. I was expecting this to be his only cap. He then had a fascinating career where over 10 years he basically came in and out of the team, won 11 caps over nine years. That's a huge span. Yeah. <laughs> I love careers like that. So he basically just bounced around in South Africa for years, right? Okay. So his journeyman rating is pretty sound. Okay. So 99 to 2000, he was at Boland Cavaliers before kind of breaking through, wins his mm-hmm. first caps, etc. And then we have Super Rugby splits off and we have the teams and the new franchising and everything. So he then goes to the Bulls for a year, plays four games for them, leaves to go to Free State Cheaters, plays five games for them, goes to the Golden Lions the year after, plays two games for them, then goes, right, and this is the the most exciting bit, the Southwest District Eagles, okay, where he plays two games for a season, then goes to the Golden Lions again. He's not playing double figures of games. How is he nope. in the box squad? This is so 2005-6, he's the Golden Lions, plays nine games. 2007, he goes to the Blue Bulls, where he spends two years and plays 19 games. Okay. Right? So basically, he had one good season in a team that were winning. He then bouncing around, it's like classic journeyman of just like filling in positions. This guy for like two or three caps. Then why was he capped in 99? And, and then turns out to be rubbish. Well, he was capped in 99 as a 19-year-old. Okay. And so he was like promising youngster then. So he to, then bounces around as a journeyman. It's like it's like if Tom Pride had got I, called back up in 2019. Yeah. I was literally about to say, yeah, if Tom Pride goes to the World Cup this year, that's the Welsh analogy. Yeah, it's and like, like South Africans listen to this. I'm wondering who the hell Tom Pride is, and that's fine. Yes, as you should, as you should. 
But it's like if, yeah, if Tom Pridey suddenly got called up by like that Ospreys team that had a good run in Europe. Okay. If they'd done better, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. The Bulls had gone and done really well in Super Rugby. Did they win Super Rugby that year? Was that the year out? I don't know. Maybe. It's around that time. But anyway, they'd had a good run. He'd, he'd suddenly been, he'd happened to sign in, sign up a different South African club every year, which he had changed, changed club every year since 2002. Yeah. yeah. He'd happened to sign for one who were good that year. Okay. So kind of bounced off that. I have not seen any of his play in no. Super Rugby that season. This may be completely inaccurate or, if you remember well. I apologize. Yes. Like, yeah. his name doesn't come up in commentary once, which is why I think his name isn't pronounced Wayne Julie's. Just I've not had any clarification of that because he literally doesn't touch the ball. In the 50 odd minutes he plays. He touches it once and I went, who's Julie's? <laughs> I looked him up. Who's your aunt playing 12? Yeah, exactly. He then, after this World Cup, after that spell with the Bulls, goes to play in the Pro Day Duh, then goes back to play semi-pro rugby in South Africa. Okay, fair enough. Uh, where he moves from 12 to 13, then becomes a coach. Fair enough. Have we got anything else to say on the, the Bok team? Yes. Yes. Now, Ashwin Villemser. Oh, yeah. Is one of the most interesting stories in this World Cup. Really? I note this out before the World Cup. This is only start of the tournament. This is a absolute hell of a story. Right. right? Ashwin Willemser. My side of the story is he's an informed super rugby player. Yes. So, Ashwin Willemser, mm-hmm. I think, is a unbelievable, inspirational, and also horrible story. Okay. His entire way through that I think is well worth telling. Right. So there might be a bit of a tone shift now, if that's all right. <laughs> that's fine. But Willemser won his first cap in 2003 after the World Cup, went to that World Cup and was a bit of a kind of shining light as a youngster in that team. You know, did pretty well with limited opportunities and broke into the first team for the quarter, played in the quarterfinal. Fair play. So did well for himself, right? Yeah. And at the time that was kind of seen as like, you know what, he's done incredibly well here. He's kind of this promising youngster who's going to be the future. Very soon afterwards, Brian Haban and JP Peterson come along and he kind of falls behind Not them much you can do in about the pecking order. Though. Yeah. Two generational talents behind him. who was an incredibly good super rugby standard hmm. player, but was named like most promising young player in South African rugby in 2003. Oh, and, fantastic. You know, it was kind of everything else. However, it becomes even more impressive when you look at, or more remarkable, when you look at the background he's come from. So when Ashwin Willemser was 14 in 1995, when South Africa won the World Cup, right? Okay. The first point is he watched that game on a television in his grandmother's house, which was the only television he could get access to. Okay. The house had no electricity, so it was being powered by two batteries linked up to the car. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the picture was flickering the whole time. It was amazing. And he said of this, right, it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful day. The enormity of it all. I remember looking up to Chester Williams, the only black guy on the team. To the, and this is a great line. To this day, I tell people, he was like a pimple on God's ass. <laughs> That's great. Just a wonderful line. However, right, the, the thing was, he was like an absolutely passionate rugby player. Like he loved rugby. It was kind of his, the high point of his life. But he also grew up in, he kind of fell into because of the neighborhood he was from, the background he was from, everything else, the kind of level of poverty, instability, yeah. everything. By the time, he was 14 when that World Cup happened. He was really dead set in a gang called the Americans, okay. which is a bizarre name for a South African gang, but was one of South Africa's most reviled criminal gangs. Okay. So he was a drug user, drug dealer. He is on the record as having stolen and shot people. Oh, Jesus. Uh, he got, he once got ruled out for a few weeks as rugby player. 
because he got shot in the shoulder. Oh my god. He's spoken about this twice on the record, as, I could, as far as I can find. Both of them, he said he did things that he wouldn't, he couldn't, doesn't bear to think about, never mind sure, talk about. Sure. So, yeah. So he was just like roped into it from a really early mm. age, from sort of eight or nine yeah. upwards. But that's normal. That's that, all he knows. Yeah. By the time he was fourteen, he was well into this, and he found rugby was like the one other thing he did, wow. and he just he loved it. That's great um, that he kind of turned it around through rugby. Well, no. So it built to a point where when he was sixteen. And he was starting to be, you know, really promising as a rugby player and everything else. Mm. He couldn't see a way out of this. And he shot himself. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he woke up in hospital and no one from the gang had come. No one from the thing. But his entire rugby team, his entire squad and his teacher had all come down and were there waiting for him when he woke up. Which shows where people's loyalties lie. And his family, yeah. That's incredible for the team around him because they will have probably looked at him and gone, this kid's troubled. Yeah. Like, he needs us. And we'll have all had that perspective. And he was how old? 16? 16. To have that level of maturity and know, you know what? Even though this kid's probably done things that we don't like before and, you know, isn't all of our best friends, we can make him our best friend. Yeah. You know, and he probably will have woken up after coming from that rock bottom scenario and gone, this is my calling. This is my people. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a springbok one day. He said of that whole period, you first got to be normal to understand that you're crazy. If you're already crazy, you don't know it. Fair. So he somehow miraculously comes through the suicide attempt, comes through the other side. That's incredible. And gets picked up by the junior springboks. That's amazing. Goes on to play in the junior World Cup, where he's named South Africa's player of the tournament. Oh, no, sorry. He's named in the, the 15 of the tournament. As the winger there. Yeah, Jake White sees him playing Craven Week and offers him a contract Man. off the back of it. Holy shit, that's um, incredible. So it's an absolutely amazing kind of... One very of the lucky, story. Yeah. Yeah. He also, in the middle of this, right, as he's breaking through, takes up writing poetry. Does he? In true Mario Otoje fashion. Yeah. It's a bit different from being in a gang, isn't it? Yeah. So he's gone on to have poetry published as well. Wow. So... Yeah, he goes on from there, from the Junior World Cup, to then win his first few caps for the Springboks, which is incredible. Yeah. And as a, you know, I think he was 20 at the time, playing that World Cup as a youngster, and then manages to somehow push on. And That's remarkable. build a career in professional rugby That's at the back of this. so, so good that he's managed to turn that around and not only, you know, leave behind the, the life of the things that, as he said, he regrets doing and wouldn't mm. bear to think about doing. But the fact that he made it in rugby to the top level and played in two Rugby World Cups, yeah, that's remarkable. I'm surprised I've never heard of him. Yeah. But I think, cause he, so he spent a lot of his career injured. He had mm. like a big run of injuries between the 2003 and seven World Cups. Just before my time. Yeah. During the time where Habana and Peterson break through, he kind of, yeah. he picks up a lot of injuries in that time. They usurp him. He then referred to himself as like Lazarus coming back from the dead <sighs> to recover for this World Cup. So makes it, gets in and. Yeah, it's just, it's a truly, like, incredible... That's one of a kind, that story. So, I mean, just, like, further notes on him, because mm-hmm. it's, like, phenomenal story, right? He also agreed during a period, there was a massive outbreak of HIV in South Africa. It was a huge problem that wasn't being properly addressed and talked about. He agreed on his own back to be HIV tested live on television. My God. So that there was a, you That's know, bold. kind of... 
yeah, celebrity that, you know, in order to like start a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Which was huge as part of, he was one of like, I feel like there's a handful of other people that did it as well. Yeah. Huge part of starting a conversation there and being very upfront and honest about talking about his sex life on TV. He went on to publish a book. He started a foundation alongside another person he'd met through kind of, you know, uh, nefarious means who'd also had a similar thing of like okay. trying to find a way out and they started a community project together. He's a truly incredible character. He's had a life, hasn't he? Yeah. The Guardian article on him also mentions an anecdote he says. He says, an ex-girlfriend once dumped me. She said, Willemson, man, you're just too philosophical. <laughs> Pimple on God's ass. Yeah. He's just like, he's absolutely incredible That's brilliant. as a human being. Yeah, I'm so glad to have learned about him rather than just leaving it at Super Rugby Player as I thought it yeah. was. That's fantastic. That's... A roller coaster. Mm. Retired in order to run the Green Smile Foundation, hoping to educate and create better opportunities for children for social oh, that's excellent. economic hardships. That's so cool that um, he does that now, like educates other people to, you know, uses his story to his benefit or to other people's benefit rather. Yeah. The other note, uh, mm. he worked as a pundit for a few years, but then in 2018, walked off the super sports set during a game. Reportedly, he claimed he's, you know, his side of the story due to results of a racism on the part of Nas Bofa. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay. He hasn't worked as a pundit since for them, on principle. Nas Bofa still does. Independent Inquiry did, in all, you know, disprove the allegations. Okay. But, yeah. yeah. So, honestly, I feel like we could we could have done a full podcast on National Sure, Vimsa. sure. And, incredible story, incredible yeah. player, has an okay game. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. He has one really solid touch. I felt... Um, yeah, he does. He does. When you were telling all of that, there was a part of me that was like, how do I bring up the fact later on now that I think he's clearly an excellent player who is not playing that well in this game? Yeah. Clearly very good. But yeah. as I say, like he has that one run down the wing in the first half. Yeah. Where Beats he every rapid until the last man when he loses the ball in contact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of a, it kind of sums his game up, I think. He gets yeah. into a lot of positions where he can do things and then bombs at the last second. Yeah. Knowing now, which I didn't know when I watched the game, he was coming back from an injury, kind of makes a bit of sense. It does make a little Hadn't bit played of much sense. that season. Yeah. Let's quickly look at Tonga team because mm. we've rambled a little bit there on South Africa. Mm. But what a squad Tonga yes! has out here. It is excellent from 1 through 15. And let's start at 1, because in that front row, Sawani Tongawea, Aleki Lutui, and Kisi Pulu, all three of these are outstanding. Yep, Lutui's one of four changes from the team that beat Samoa. So he comes in, we then also obviously have Ale Tipale, yeah. who went mad in the last 20 minutes, I've also, just bit everyone. I've also noticed that one of two players they just leave on the bench is Tomatoke, who was the other one who went mental in the last yes. 15 minutes of the summer. They're like, no, don't bite we're anyone. Not, no, we're not. We have, I mean, we get to an allegation of a bite in the game. Yes. But it truly has everything. Yeah. Yeah. So Bungalilo remains at fullback. Yeah. We have Tayoni and Hufanga form really solid partnership in midfield. I yeah. like them as a combo. They're very different players, but they're, God, Suka Hufanga is good, isn't it? They're an like, incredibly kind of tier two midfield partnership mm. where they're both incredibly talented in a way that doesn't complement each other, but they know each other inside out so yeah. that they work. Yeah. Like they're not a natural pairing. They're not one you would build as like, oh, those two complement each other, so we're going to put those two together. Mm. They just happen to both be incredibly talented players that know each other inside out. Yeah. So okay. it really works. Suka Hufanga is a player that I 
I'm low-key obsessed with. He's like, fantastic. There's, I think Great I said game. this on the 2011 series when he scored the winning try against France, but I f- feel like there's so few players that I've watched at Rugby World Cups and just go, I would hate to tackle him as much yeah. as Suku Hufanga. Because yeah. he just looks impossible to tackle. And even when you do, it hurts. There's one point where he gets the ball in the second half and he's getting tackled. He's falling to the deck and he just brings out this piston-like handoff that sends Victor Matfield tumbling <laughs> to the deck and he's literally falling to the floor. He does that for fun. Sits down men that are twice his size and he's big himself. He's got massive arms. Like mm. He's a horrifying figure to look at and think, oh, I just don't want to mark him. You've got Joseph Vacker back on the wing as well. Mm. Yeah. who is quite an athlete. He is. He is. Disciplined isn't a word I'd use to describe him. Oh, no, 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 never, never, never. <laughs> no. The very first thing he does in the game is there's a point where he goes in for a chop tackle on, like, I think he's back, he's bored, he's carrying the ball, then goes, oh, wait, no, I remember what the coach told me. Let him know you're there. And then he just goes and clotheslines him instead. Like, he's already in the perfect chop tackle position, then just chooses to high tackle him. Do you know what club Joseph Ack was playing for at the time of the World Cup? Who? World Fighting Bull. <laughs> The Japanese rugby club. World Fighting Ball. World Fighting Ball. Of course Joseph Fagg played for them. It all adds up now. Yeah. Did Christian Lomani play for them as well? In the back back three together. That's brilliant. If only they offered Scott Berger a contract, eh? (laughs) He was at the Bulls. Yeah, oh, that's true. That is true. So we've mentioned Neely Latu and Finel Maka in the back row together. Mm. Also, they have Viliami Vaki playing at six. Yes. is brilliant. Good player, man. Yeah. P- could play anywhere in the back five. And you look at him and you think he's a centre or winger. The way he plays. He's so good. And really compliments Latu, who's a proper work- hard-working seven. And Maka, who is just an absolute bulldozer in the eight jersey. Mm. Fantastic. It's such a good back row. Yeah. Like, they are such a good unit, they are such good players individually, yeah. and they work so hard and play so well. Yeah. I mean, so we mentioned the anthem, we mentioned the Sipital, right? The South African anthem, we don't mention the players sing perfectly fine. Yeah. Right? There's one guy in the crowd, however, who belts it out like his life depends on it. <laughs> I didn't see and that. And we cut back to him, this guy with dyed green hair, who, like, they cut to him at the end of the anthem, and he's, like, bawling his eyes out as, like, he does the last line, and he's, like, tears blaring down his face he's got the vibe of like this is a world like a lifelong dream of his to go and watch the spring box at a world cup and he's there doing it and he is like if he had been on the pitch they would have won by 20 points (laughs) those people are always welcome in rugby crowds absolutely every single time (laughs) i love it i love it they also mentioned that jake white asked for six thousand fans in the stands (laughs) really you remember when he did that when he said he'd buy the first few thousand fans of beer yeah, so he'd wanted 6,000 South Africans to travel over and be in the stands. He Very says some weird, weird things sometimes, doesn't he, number. Yeah. Him and Eddie Jones' conversations have been very strange around What a time. weird coaching box that must have been. It is. Because they're both it? distinctive characters in completely different ways. Yeah. And just Eddie Jones being anyone's understudy just feels weird to me. Yeah, because you know he's secretly in charge. Yeah. He's the bad guy in a movie who is secretly plotting to overthrow everyone. Yeah, exactly. And you know that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. He's not fooling anyone. Emperor over here. So we get to the kickoff, right? And right from the start, again, Tonga just really 
want to just give it to them, I think. Yeah. That Turpilotu makes a nice break right from the kickoff where he ducks under one guy and then kind of like jinks after, after another couple of tackles. And you just go, okay, this is their scrum off. Usually you kick to the scrum off and the kickoff thinking they're going to soak it up or kick it back or yeah. just pass it to somebody. But here's their scrum off taking it to us. So about two minutes in, Pierre Holler goes for an incredibly ambitious pass that goes forward into touch. Yes. And... At that moment, if you're watching live, you probably go, oh, this is going to be a long day for Tonga, you know, when they struggle at the scrum following immediately as well. But what you should have seen is, oh, they're going to throw everything about here. Yeah. I think you kind of sum a lot of their attitude up in that pass. Yeah. In the fact that they throw this mad pass that is on, but is so difficult to execute. Yes. That you've got no chance of it ever coming off. But that's it. Like, we've spoken about the aggression and the power game that Tonga bring to this. Mm. Like... Their flair and ambition was incredible. Yeah. Like, to, to not go into your shell once playing against the Springboks, even when they eventually pull away yeah. a little bit, is just what all tier two rugby teams should aspire to do. So, I think the first half is good. Yeah. I think the second half is fantastic. Yeah. But the first half is kind of the door being unlocked for mm. the second half. Sure. Because it is far cagier. It's yeah. far tighter. There's far fewer points scored. You know, it finishes 7-3. Mm. But... It leads to what happens in the second half. Because sure. there's a lot of this half is Tonga somehow being in touch with the Springbok team. Yeah. Who you can tell are better rugby players than them. That's it. You know, you can tell it's a more talented, more professional team. Tonga aren't giving an inch and South Africa yeah. are just letting them. That's They're it. just not doing anything to pull away. What I had written at half time was South Africa are the team in control yes. and they have nothing to show for it. Therefore, yeah. Tonga are the better team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so we might as well get into it, right? Andre Pretorius. Yes, if we must. Who has an absolute stinker. He does. This is a howler of a performance. So it's the clash of the Rugby 04 fly halves. Yes. Andre Pretorius versus Pierre Holler. And Pierre Holler is always chucking the money balls. And <laughs> Andre great... Pretorius is playing rugby. I've got enormous respect for the fact that Pierre Holler clearly watched Freddie Michelac's little dink the previous night and went, but I could do that, and tried it three times. (laughs) Yeah, and it comes up in commentary a couple of times. He tries one really early in the Mm. first half, and so I'll have to actually cover it. Yeah, And clearly, like, um, they have a little chat about it on the comms. It's like, oh yeah, both these teams have talked that play up, haven't they? Yeah. (laughs) Like, on Friday night... They've gone, I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if they're going to do that. Yeah, exactly. And And great. Pierre Holler is properly going bag of tricks. Yeah. Like, he is in full on, just pulling this out, chucking grenades left, right and centre. Yeah. He is going for it. And it's great because Pierre Holler's had a mixed bag in the last, you know, couple of games we've we've seen him Mm. play. He he, he did play well against Samoa, but uh, he had a few moments where he kind of went to pot a little bit. Whereas here, he's playing like a dickhead and I love it. He's full on flash cunt. Was it Boater Chamberlain? Oh, no, it wasn't. It was a different... What South African fly-off that used to play for Connell? Kerwin um, Bosch. No, no Marins Boshoff. Marins Boshoff. Thank you. Thank you. When he played for the Barbos. Yes. And he was generally a pretty, like, dry, <laughs> kicking fly-half. Yeah. Right? Who gave his passes, made his kicks, was solid. Yeah. Solid player. Never anyone looked at him in being flash. Then he got caught up by the bar bars, and suddenly he went mad. Yeah. And he started just dropping these like little inside balls all the time. He was going for speculative offloads on every touch. He was throwing these uh, 
absurd passes and he was doing constant little dinks and little cross kicks and everything he'd practiced once or twice in training and been like, yeah, I could do I wonder if this will work. And he'd be like, no, but it's just low percentage play. We're not we're not try it. Suddenly, bringing it just all worked of them every out. single time. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly, he just became this different player, but built on the foundations of what he'd been. Yeah. Like he was a boring player who'd just been unlocked. Yeah. You know, it was like watching like a really boring middle manager just <laughs> take acid. <laughs> and there's an element of that to Pierre Holler. Absolutely, because he was generally is. quite a conservative fly half. Yeah. But he goes mad in this game, as, and it's more as the game goes on because the very first kind of again, like one of the first moments where I look at. They could have South Africa rattled. There's a point where South Africa make a couple of kind of little half breaks mm. and then start offloading absolutely everything because they're thinking, yeah. oh yeah, we have to really get into this. And JP Peterson throws one, you know, even back his ball to throws an offload at one point. And then Tonga kind of rolls like, oh no, they're going backwards. That's really pressurized them. And it ends with Sawani Tonga Weir blasting through the middle of the breakdown, getting a turnover, then getting it back to Holler who boots it downfield mm. into the South African 22. And you go like, that's really good game management. You know, yeah. they're playing in the right areas. And I was thinking, that's setting the tone for how Hall is going to play this. I could not be more wrong. No. <laughs> we talk about Tonga being very loose and very all over the shot with their attack. They're only doing it in the opposition half. Yeah. Until the last 15 minutes. They are actually quite conservative in their own half. And you have Tuopolotu kicking the lever off it. Yeah. He's and got you a big have, boot on him, Tuopolotu. Yeah. PR Huller putting a lot of like stabs that are difficult to deal with in. Yeah. Oh, that one that Holler puts on really early on when the attack's kind of going nowhere, they're yes. picking and going, and he stabs that little one in. And Peterson takes it, but he takes it ugly. Yeah, he kind of takes it, but like his elbow's in the wrong place, and mm. it kind of bounces off his shoulder, he knocks it on. Like, he can't pass it, because, as you say, it's held in a really awkward position. Yeah. And he tries to force an offload, and Skinstad comes back from an offside position to pick it up. And there you go, Holler's now got a kick 40 metres yeah. out from the goal line. He takes it, he nails it. Free nail. Great game management. Really good start. Really solid start. It's one of these where you're like, do Tonga deserve to be ahead on the bounce of play? I don't know. Do they deserve to be ahead considering the fact South Africa have taken none of their chances? Absolutely. Absolutely they do. Like, yeah. they are clinical. They have not got into the 22 once. They are 3-0 ahead. South Africa have been basically pissing around trying to score a try for ages. And there's a moment on the commentary before the game starts where the commentator says, so clearly so we're expecting South Africa to just kick the point, to be very sensible. Mm. If they get a penalty in the first few minutes, they're going to go for goal. They're not going to look for the corner. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. They're definitely going to try and build a scoreboard. Bloody don't. No. I mean, it's not helped by Pretorius. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about him, won't we? Yeah. The fact that he would miss his own birthday on this day. <laughs> like, it is an extraordinary performance of inaccuracy. He is shit the thing of, look we need to talk about the elephant in the room with Andre Pretorius yeah. don't we we need to talk about this so I want to quickly before I do this remind everybody that you're listening to the 2007 Rugby World Cup retrospective your name is uh, Robbie Squidward whatever you want to call me and my name is uh, Will Owen yeah, yeah that. I think so and we're talking about the 2007 Rugby World Cup that took place in the year 2007 when rugby had gone professional mm. in 2007 Continue on Andre Pretorius. So, Andre Pretorius is dog shit in this game. It is what happens when you pick a limited fly half on a day where his limits aren't working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On an off day. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the elephant in the room. We have to discuss this. So he gets given his first shot at goal. And you go, okay, fair enough. Andre Pretorius, he's going to 
put this through the does. sticks. It's what he does. And metronomic goal kicker. Yeah, and literally the commentators say like, oh, he's not going to miss this. You know, he's he's going to just stick this through because it's right next to the sticks. And he does miss it. But that's not the important thing about this kick at goal. The important thing about this kick at goal is he models his tee off sand. Yeah. Well, he so has a sand boy come on for he him. He has a sand boy come on. With like, but like black, like... It's also a it massive like bucket of sand he brings on. Than sand. Like he's clearly yeah. like bought one of those from IKEA before the game oh, and gone down the beach fly, and spent hours like, there. A World Cup worth of sand over with him. Yeah, you know he's and he brings bring it on for over. every kick. Yeah, so he brings this on. Like he, everyone pauses for him to have his little like play about of a bucket and yeah. paint. <laughs> it takes so long to build a kicking tee because he builds it really specifically, like in a really specific shape. He sticks his thumbs into it. It's like, oh yeah, that's where the point of the ball's going to go down. And then he goes back for more sign. Come on, you can't do more. And he builds a line, which is, yeah. according to commentators, in line with where the goal is. So like, you're not allowed to do it in golf, I'm told. Right. Um, okay. Where, you know, you build a line so you can kind of accurately draw where mm. you're trying, the direction you're trying to hit the ball in, essentially. But obviously, because it's Andre Pretorius, he doesn't build it in line with the goalposts no. as much as maybe the corner flag. <laughs> yeah. And so, he, as you say, his first shot's, like, from quite a range, but it's fairly between the post. Yeah. And he misses it. Yeah. His second but kick... it's not just that he misses it, he misses it so horribly. Yeah. His second kick, however, is straight between the posts, on the 22-metre line. Yeah. And... We also have an angle from behind the post as we watch this, which makes the kick look even easier yeah. than it would from behind him. Like, it looks like the simplest kick in the world. The point the commentator says, Andres Pertoys, he's not going to miss this one. It's going to be free all. This is the start of the Springboks coming back into it. Yeah. They say it as a fact. He is not going to miss this. Yeah. And somehow, a kick that is... the Okay, so the easiest way to not get this kick is to not get the ball off the floor. <laughs> right? Providing you get air on the ball, you are getting this kick. Yeah. I think it is almost impossible not to <laughs> from where he is. I and yet, to Andre Pretorius. Somehow he scuffs it so that it goes always above the height of the bar, but it just skates off to the left and bounces out, yeah, close to the touch flag <laughs> than the goalposts. It's Honestly, horrendous. It's one of the worst kicks I've ever seen in my life. Do you think this and is... And I watched James Hook for years. Yeah. Do you think this is why kicking tees were popularised? <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if this is why they caught on. Yeah. Be- because they don't need a sandboy no. to come on and I not build you a tee. We've had a sandboy in 2007. But, like, you also see him in the second half as he lines one up, where he... He goes to do it, right? And then the ball falls off. It does, well, no, the ball doesn't fall off the tee. The ball falls through the tee because he hadn't built it well <laughs> enough. So he then has to go back and build the sand tee again. It's devastating for him, like. And he must throw him off completely. Weren't the rules back then that you have a minute from when the ball is on the tee to kick it? Probably. I think so. And Barnsley's probably just there, like, I should have put, we should put a rule in well, about this. they haven't got a tee. To actually physically so, make the yeah. tee. How long have you got? We need we need to sort this out, fellas. You could have boiled the kettle and made a cup of tea for Barnsley in the <laughs> yeah. time. But like, no, you probably could have gone to Gilbert and started their plastic manufacturing plant up <laughs> in the time it takes him to build a couple of his teas. So Pretorius misses like three or four kicks in the first half. He misses alone. three. Doesn't he, he misses three. three. But the really bizarre thing is like, we'll get onto it, right? But the try is right in the corner and he nails <laughs> he just drills the conversion. <laughs> But then he misses all five penalties he attempts. 
And also, it's like he's allergic to that third point. Like the way that he nails the conversion looks so casual. Yeah. It looks like he's done a Rabona. Like it goes that flat and low and hard. It's like, oh Jesus, you've absolutely nailed that, yeah. son. Drew his line exactly right. Yeah. Maybe he's been drawing them diagonally the whole time. <laughs> so, so this one just happens to land perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this kicking coach has just said, and that's where you draw a line, like this. You see, because the poster over there. And he goes, okay, so I draw a line in this direction every time. <laughs> it flies, woo! And it just so happens he was in line with where that first kick was shown to him when he first <laughs> took a goal kick so in what? 1901. One of those things, like on Judgment Day, I sat right on the touchline in case I had to go off and do the thing I mentioned the Andrew Ford episode. Yeah. And there's a few times when you see players lining up penalties where you're like, oh no, this is coming right towards me. Yeah. Right? If you're sat on the corner flag, if you're the linesman on the corner flag <laughs> as he lands up a drop goal, you must be thinking the same thing. You could take it home with you're you. Like, yeah. I'm worried about getting hit in the face here. <laughs> there's another point, because as I say, he misses a couple of penalties. Mm. And South Africa are given a penalty like 40 odd metres out from the goal line, kind of 5, 10 metres in from touch. And... What I have written down in my notes are, wow, an offside. Do I really need to make a note of this? Nothing will happen. Yep. Do I have to make a note of every penalty that's ever given? Because they're not all going to be significant, especially mm. with Pretorius, the way he's kicking. Unless there's somebody on his team who really significantly overrules that and goes, oh, well, we're not we're just not going to let him kick a goal in the first place. We're going to do something really extravagant. Maybe if they've got another goal kicker whose kicking percentage is surely much higher. Yeah. Who also wants to be a scrum half. Yeah. But he's stuck playing another position. And he's really pissed off being in the second team. Yeah. And he's kind of going, I'm stuck in the seconds playing my third favourite position. I'm not goal kicker in a team where the goal kicker is missing everything. He's missed three shots at goal already. There is such an energy to Ryan Pienaar, as he is referred to throughout the entire game. The entire game, game, the entire way, every time. It's really pissed me off. Ryan Pienaar, there's a real energy to him of just like... I'm I'm way too good to be playing in this game. Yeah, like, I shouldn't be here. Not in an arrogant way. Just like, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to try really hard. But just like, please don't pick me in this again. But like, I, yeah, we've all seen it. We've all seen players who are much better than the standard they're playing at. And they're not the personality type to just want to dominate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and not a fast-track bully. Positionally like, really sound. Yeah. Did all of his kicks well. He is... Like, I think visibly pissed off about the fact he's playing fullback. Yeah. And he's like effortlessly he superb at playing fullback, yeah. not just as a rugby player. Yeah. He is a brilliant fullback. I'm going to teach you really to never pick me at fullback it. again by playing really well at fullback. <laughs> yes. I'm going to be a pitch perfect 15 in order to never play here again. Yeah. So we go back for that offside penalty I referred to earlier, and it's on the other side of the pitch, the other side of the width of the field mm. to where the advantage was called over. And clearly at that point, Ricky January's going, oh, get the ball to me so we can pretend to take a quick tap. Except Ricky January, being the speed that he is, <laughs> yes. is still right next to the breakdown. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be nice if they had two scrumals on the pitch so the other one could pretend to tap and go, per se. Yeah. Or maybe, even, this is a wild idea, fully tap and go. Right. It's actually quite a good option, considering Tonga only have one player on that entire side of the pitch. Mm. That they've all just gone, oh yeah, we'll just fuck off to that breakdown over there, why don't we? What, there's a penalty? Oh, okay, fair enough, we'll get there in our own time, we yeah. go for goal. Like, 
so the touchline commentator, the who for some reason the touchline reporter, they keep going to for his opinion. Oh, Robbie Knock. Robbie yeah. Knock. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they keep going. What do you think of this, Robbie Knock, the touchline reporter? And he goes, but, "Well, I think Montpellier had a great game in the top fourteen at the weekend." Yeah. Oh, bless him. He so wanted to be involved. I know, and he keeps chiming <laughs> in and being like, "I've got some banter, guys. Yeah. I want to do a banter." <laughs> and he's so low in the mix. Yeah. Like <laughs> his microphone's so quiet. <laughs> They clearly just, just like, try to get on with it. If it's Sarah Elgin, I want to hear it. Yeah. But like generally, touchline reporters are there for a reason. They're there yeah. to report on the touchline rather than to give their insight. And what's funny but, is he was the best of the trio of oh, uh, yeah. reporters, I mean, no, yeah, commentators. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. But he makes the point of like, I was really shocked by how Tonga didn't get back 10. They had got back 10. They got back 10 behind the breakdown where they... <laughs> The advantage ended. They got back 10. Yeah. Like, back isn't what they were worried about. They <laughs> yeah. need to get across 10. It's a really smart bit of play by Pina. It is. He taps it 40 metres out and runs down the touchline, managed to beat the only man that gets across. Lutui, the of course. Of course. And rounds him because Lutui does a really good job here by just backtracking. He doesn't mm. bite in on Pina and force him to make a mistake. But the two men inside him are Pulu and Tongawea, his fellow yeah. front rowers. So you've got the three slowest players on the field there. All Which is why they're there. Up. They've had to work left to right. Exactly, yeah. And like Pinar has Peterson with him, mm. so knows he can toy with like pretending to pass or whatever, and it just makes it really difficult for Lutui to cover him in kind of a ten yeah. meter gap. Really smart bit of play, really, really well finished. Yeah, dives really in the well corner. taken. Like kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. South Africa almost don't deserve it for yeah. how unclinical they've been. And like, but then Pinar also does deserve a moment of genius. He does. And, and I kind of can't help but feel like Lutui does a good job of keeping him in the corner, if not for the fact Pretorius inexplicably <laughs> nails Drills the it. Yeah. It then becomes very clear that Tonga are ready to hit back because pretty much straight away, as soon as they get the ball next in the opposition half, Pierre Holler attempts a drop goal. Yep. If you can call it that. I mean, he, he attempts a drop goal. I think that's fair. Yeah. He drop kicks the I ball, technically. I wouldn't call what he did, yes. I'd call it an attempt. I think that is the way I would phrase it. Yeah. It just about gets off the floor. He chips it, essentially, because there's a lot of pressure on him. Mm. So he kind of doesn't put his full weight behind it because there's clearly a threat of getting charged down. Yeah. So he doesn't put his full weight behind it, end up just chipping it over. But the option to drop kick that in the first place kind of just says to South Africans, every time they're in the half, lads... They're just going to go for that. Yeah. I think it's both... It's a good option to try and take the drop goal. I think it's a wrong moment to try and take the drop goal. Agreed. And in the end, Pierre Holler goes on to miss three drop goals in total, which is, you know, kind of an endorsement of a tactic. <laughs> sure. Sure. I get why he goes for all uh, of them. Me too. Though. Me too. Me and too. also, one of them is extremely close mm. and really unlucky that he strikes really, really well, and it just shaves the left. At one point, the commentator says, Robbie is hoping to see lots of drop goals. And I was like, yes, I am, actually. Yeah. Yes, I am. I had the same thought. I had a moment, because I just think of him as top 14 guy, rather than (laughs) Robbie, you know? So I thought, yeah, I guess you would. Then I was like, oh, wait, no, it means Robbie Williams, doesn't it? (laughs) This is the thing, though, right? Because there aren't that many Robbies you come across in the wild. No. like, it's not an uncommon name, but you don't come across many naturally. Certainly not in rugby. Yeah. So it's Henshaw. And And even then you call him Henshaw. Yeah, exactly. Like I just did. So I automatically, a bit my brain tunes in whenever I hear it. It's not like, like you've got a far more common name. Yeah, mine's a word. Yeah. 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 How's that for you? Weird. Yeah. It will be, I guess. Yeah. Um, What what, what do you want from me? Sorry, why did you say my name? 
Good banter. Great, great banter. Almost at the standard of these commentators. Yeah. Who are so keen on bantering. They love bants. They love some bants. They love, they love themselves a banter. They do love a banter. So Holler goes semi-enthusiastically for that drop goal. And then off the 22 dropout, they get the ball back Tonga. And again, Pierre Holler's in the drop goal position in the pocket. And you go, oh, okay. We know what's coming here. So they send it back to him. And he has loads of pressure on him. And he goes... Ah, oh, crap, I didn't think this far ahead. Uh, what should I do? And Neil Latu just goes, look, mate, you've stitched yourself up. You chose to be here. You need to face the consequences of this. I'm sorry to say, the only thing you can do, I'm saying this as your captain, as your friend, the only thing you can do is soak it up and get nailed by Baki's Borta. And Pierre Heller goes, fuck off, you have the ball then. <laughs> and Neil Latu makes a line break. This is not how he read that situation at all, but I wish that was. <laughs> I read it as Pierre Huller is incredibly slow. <laughs> That's definitely a factor. <laughs> and so he is thinking of trying to take the ball to the line, but instead the line comes to him. Yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I think what happened is a mixture of our two readings, yes. isn't it? Get <laughs> slapped back in the middle. <laughs> this, the line comes straight upon him, and Lati runs this perfect line yeah. off him. <laughs> it's it's brilliant. Breaks through, and yeah, he breaks the tackle of Borta. And go straight through the middle. It's a fantastic break. Originally dusts off the fullback in Pienaar. I think Peterson gets across and makes a try-saving tackle. But they're up to within, what, three, five metres yeah, of the try five line? And they keep going, you know. They have forwards coming onto it at pace. And really, you know, they're not attacking with any great kind of creativity. Mm. But they're doing it with pace. And they're doing it with fucking massive Tongans. Huge, 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 huge fellas. yeah. Until eventually the one not-so-huge fella gets in on the act. And I really love this from Pierre Holler. I mean, I made a loud noise that my neighbours have wondered what was happening. Yes. Goes for the old Miss Nine. It's an unbelievable pill. As you say, he takes the ball at ten at first receiver. He has an entire team outside of him. He has an entire stadium worth of people. More people than the population of the town they're playing it in <laughs> yes. to choose from. And he goes for the furthest out person. He chucks it to the one employee in the Tesco equivalent <laughs> that's the only person in this town not in this stadium. Because clearly, like, Ashwin Villains are on the wing. She goes, he's not going to pass it to him, is he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, well, sorry, they've got a prop right on the touchline. He stood in midfield. He's not pa- from he's stood day. 70 yards away. He's not going to pass to him. He's not- and he's fucking huge. Yeah, a 50 metre miss pass to a prop on the wing. Yeah. No way. No way. Absolutely no chance. Instead, the bloody balls on Pierre Holler today <laughs> going, I am throwing the greatest pill anyone has <laughs> ever seen. Unbelievably great. Perfectly weighted, lands straight in Tonga Weir's arms, so that not only can he go over in the corner, he takes it as such a, in such a position, able to run onto it, that he can take it in under the posts as well. Yeah. And then, Wayne Barnes. What a try, that is. What a try. What a try. What a try. Wayne Barnes, you piece of shit. (laughs) Honestly, Wayne Barnes refereed this game brilliantly. Yeah. That is a fucking coward's move, Barnesy. I'm gonna say this, right? Wayne Barnes would have given that try nowadays. He would have. I, I was thinking that. A hundred percent. Like, he definitely would have given that. Maybe would have TMO'd it and said, is there a clear and obvious forward yeah. pass? And again, we hate talking about refereeing decisions, but I looked at that and thought, 
If you mean Pickett, it probably does drift slightly forward. Mm. P- possibly. But it's not clear and obvious. Not Movement out of the hands is backwards. Yeah, definitely. It's all the momentum stuff. And the thing is, we're saying this with it in mind. We watched that back on the replay going, oh, this is forward then. Yeah. Expecting yeah, yeah. it to be forward. And went, mm, I guess. You know, whereas if you just see that as a normal one, unless you're one of those dickheads on Facebook who comments on every good try ever saying, ah, but there was a forward pass there, you know. Yeah. Unless you're one of those people. I also think it's something that's changed in how Wayne Barnes approaches the game. Yeah. Is he genuinely referees with much more empathy now? Yeah. I wonder if this was also a factor in the pass, the forward pass from this tournament. Interesting. Because obviously... Obviously I have no idea what you're talking about. Not to get too ahead of ourselves. But later on this tournament, Wayne Barnes referees a game in which a very controversial marginal forward pass is not given. Yes, and marginal is an interesting word yes. for that. Well, yeah. Having given a forward pass, a marginal mm. forward pass one way, obviously this doesn't create a kind of stink around it, but I don't know what the kind of... I don't know what the coverage was like afterwards. You know? sure. I don't know what he was saying, what he was hearing afterwards. Yeah. I wonder if this forces him to drift in the other direction. Because he does become a more empathetic referee as he goes Definitely. on. But I think this World Cup shakes him a bit. Um, That's an interesting Because theory. there is that interesting thing where he gets a massive backlash in New Zealand. The point they're still booing him like six still years later. Still today. Still yeah. today they bring it up. I think it's only in the last few years, like the lead up to the 2019 World Cup, that I think New Zealand, as a rugby public, let go of that. Yeah, like, oh, he's him. a good referee though. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. I think he has an absolutely fantastic game. He's I think he referees this like... Fantastic. I disagree with that one call. I wouldn't have given it. As I said, I don't think he would now. Agreed. Otherwise, like almost faultless game. Like yeah. absolutely brilliant in terms of his control he's got over the game, the way he referees it, the way he lets things flow. Yeah. The yeah, And the brilliant. times when there's fights breaking out, he does his whole thing of stopping it, but doesn't stem the so, electric nature of the game, you know? Yes. Wayne Barnes has my favourite spreadism of this World Cup. In oh, this go game. on. My favourite Tony Spreadbury line comes from Wayne Barnes here. Go on. There's a fight starting between two players, you know, South African and a Tongan, and he shouts, you're both grown men. <laughs> That's extremely spreaders. Yep. Who was the fourth official itching to get on, yeah. by the way. It came to his earpiece. Yeah. And just tell it, like Anton Deck. Just tell him. Just tell, tell him to grow up, Barnsley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Love it. So yeah, that's given us a forward pass, and that then leads to South Africa exiting via Willems's break mm. on the short side, and they have a few moments where both teams have a few moments actually where they kind of get into the opposition twenty-two and spill the ball. Yeah, Tonga really, and again we discussed it before. We have to criticise them at points here mm. for the fact that there were several times, particularly in the first half, in their own 22 where they surrendered possession. Yes. And luckily, it didn't lead to much because South Africa were equally useless in the 22. Like, there's a point where they just clearly haven't talked through how to exit in a certain scenario, Mm. or literally on the touchline, when they've just Mm. gained a turnover. And the only thing they know how to do is just get it back to Holler and hope he just levels it. But they bring it up in commentary a couple of times. I think it is fair enough, as much as I took the piss out of them in the previous game. Holler is extremely left-footed. Mm. He is a very one-footed kicker. He never kicks off his right at all. And so g- kicking off the right touchline, he can't get that much distance on it. Yeah. And they clearly haven't worked up an exit where they can either get a right-footed kicker in, work into a good position for the box kick, or give him a bit of protection and get him to you know lever it downfield and then back it up with your D. Mm. And they find themselves in those positions a couple of times and end up surrendering the ball because they go one phase too many. There's also a thing that... 
Tu Pilotu is a very capable kicker of the ball when he's front on, mm. but he doesn't really box kick. Yes. Which is a bit of an issue for them in those situations. Yeah. They can't rely on that crutch, which is the go-to now yeah. for all, you know, scrum halves at international level. Definitely. Um, he's an incredibly capable kicker when in a situation where he, he's got time to weigh it up and aim, but he, he can't he can't really kick off the base. It's not really something that we see from yeah, him in exactly. any of the games in this World Cup so far. And they can count themselves lucky that we're about to go into a two-part series called South Africa Blowing Absolute Sitters oh, at the end of the first half. Mate. So, off one of those chances, the Tonga fumble, give South Africa scrum. The South African scrum is completely on top of the entire game, but not to the point of the winning penalties, which is... I think enormous credit to Kissy Pulu. I was going to say, I wouldn't say the entire game. There's a few Tongan put-ins where Pulu absolutely manhandled Steinkamp, which is insane. I think, but there is a nudge throughout. Sure. For South Africa. Yeah. But it's not leading to anything. No. It's like, they're slightly on top. I think you've got a point though, in terms of that thing of being the kind of cornerstone of the pack. Yeah. Pulu does well to just hang in there. Yeah, that's what he's doing. It's a classic, it's a boxer who knows they're outmatched, just trying to get through to the last round. Yeah. Just like trying to hang in there and get through to the 80th round, just be like safe, you know, like hope it gets decided on points. And he's kind of doing a superb job of that. Kissy Pulu's outstanding in this game. I agree completely. He's in man of the match contention for me. Yeah, definitely. He's up there. I think he's brilliant. Crack on. So yeah, so there's a scrum that again, South Africa have a nudge on and it's one of the few where they can take advantage of that. So yeah. Ricky January has a really lovely touch as it's going forward. As they get the biggest shove in, he picks and goes from the base. Oh, his feet are great here, aren't they? It's fantastic. They move fast. The way he just like jinks outside, draws his man, beautifully times it, like almost 70s style like pop up for Willemse, who then should dive in the corner. He's quite nonchalant in the way he tries to finish this, isn't he? That's the thing. He does the little in and out. And then, again, to go back to a boxing analogy... Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> yes. It's easy to do the whole shimmy in, out, dive, until you've got Neely Latu's massive shoulders about to belt you into touch. It's the finish of someone that hasn't scored a try in a while. Yeah, it really is. It makes sense that he's been on a long injury yeah. timeout, because I think if you, a confident player just goes early. Yeah. But instead or goes for the rugby league style it. dive. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of overthinking his finish. Mm. And I think his kind of, his brain gets in the way. And as you said, you know, he's a bloody poet and he's got a great turn of phrase. Yeah. That clearly. kind of gets in the way of just the action. Yeah. Like he's not going on instinct. He's thinking about how do I finish this? I've got to turn him inside sure. out and try and beat the man. When actually, if he just dives, if he just yeah. goes for it, if he just, you know. And again, like, it's, it's technically. Really easy for us to say from here. That's it. It's technically not but, a bad decision for him yeah. to go for that. But as I say, he's got Nilu Latu in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to get around that. Yeah. But I also know that, like, you become confident. It is an instinct, to, yeah, yeah. You yeah. become confident enough to rely on your instincts. Yeah, right? exactly. And then when you've had a bad run of form, suddenly you start to overthink things if sure. things aren't going your way. And yeah. I think that's clearly what is happening here. I think it's a, sure. he gets in his own way a bit. Yeah. And yeah, he kind of misses what is a little bit of a sitter considering who he's playing for. The other one is kind of horrible, where again, off turnover, South Africa go wide and they work themselves into quite a good position. And Vinand Olafia throws oh. an absolute boulder at Willemse. 
and it dips just around his shins, mm. not even off his toe, so he can't even kick it along and hope to dive on it. Like, it's around his shins, it's just far enough forward that he can't run onto it, and it goes into touch. And it's a horrible pass. It's horrific. It's and one of those that just slips out your hands slightly too early. Yeah, exactly. And look, like, Valen Olafir is a fairly good distributor. And yeah, solid is, player, really solid player. Yeah, claims the assist for one of the most famous tries in the history of Lions Test Series for Ruben yes. you know? So, <laughs> you know, perfectly good passer of the ball, but... Yeah, no, that one was very unfortunate. But having those two in a row, yeah, is a bit of a blow to his momentum. Ugly picture, doesn't it? Yeah, but then we get to the end of the half, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, well, I think there are two huge turning points in this game. Okay, well, three maybe. Sure, but there's two huge moments of Tonga River series fought in this. Okay, and can kick on, and one of them comes right at the end of this half. South Africa on the try line, and it looks inevitable. Like, they have such big men going so fast, so hard. You're like, oh, this is this is about to happen. Q, nearly Latu, with one of the best turnovers of this tournament so far. It's next level. And that is after he tackles Gerthro Steinkamp. Yes. Which, to tackle him dominantly is an impossibility. And then get back up onto your feet, turn the ball Pinch over. Pinch that little egg thing he's carrying. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So and he just good. presents it back. He has a moment of trying to buy the penalty and then goes, no, I've, I've got this. I've got to yeah. take this now. Otherwise, we're losing this. And it's a good bit of clock Doesn't... management as well. Yeah. Kind of knowing, oh, wait, we've only got 10 seconds to survive here. We've not got exits, but as long as we just control it, we, we can then get it into touch. That's part of the problem, though. That there are 10 seconds left in the clock when Pierre Holler kicks it. Yeah. And you're thinking, you should have played one more phase and put that out for sure. half time. However, Tonga get incredibly lucky because Wayne Barnes blows for half time 10 seconds early. Yeah. He, instead of going, Leah, let's play this, he just lets the clock go to 40 and goes, all right, we'll just call it there then, shall we, lads? Yeah. Tonga are incredibly fortunate there. Because incredibly. Otherwise, they're looking at another set piece on the 22, having just defended free successfully. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that breaks you, having it to is. do an extra set. Definitely. Into dead time, when you've just had the big momentum swing. Yeah. yeah. I think like that potentially is what makes that second half happen. Yeah. Um, I think as well, so Tonga's last attack of the first half as well, where they spread it wide and Vaki comes off his wing and they have this massive overlap and JP Peterson shuts it down brilliantly. Yeah. Because Vaki yeah. tries this little overhead basketball style offload and Peterson just stays big the whole time, just stays really high. Yeah. And knowing the, the best thing about JP Peterson isn't even his speed, it's his strength. Mm. His core strength is better than basically any winger other than like Alisson Latour uh, that, his, that he plays his alongside. Size. Yeah, he certainly yeah. is his size. And the fact that he can look at someone as big as and threatening as Vaki and just go, no, my shoulders will take care of this. Yeah. Like, all I need to do is stay high, block that pass, and literally I don't have to have good technique here and that I can still be on the floor. moment did make me think about something though. Yeah? The, it's brilliant to be by Peterson, don't get me wrong, yeah, right? Yeah, it is. However, it was really, it's really telling looking at this World Cup, right? You have a lot still of that thing of people assuming forwards don't know how to handle the ball and whatever. And you have exceptions, obviously. You have the yes. kind of, the McCaws, the George Smith, the Martin Williamses and that. Yeah, way I was absolutely. And Vaki's a very good player, don't get me wrong, like, but there's still that expectation. However, there's something that like is really telling going from the 1987 series to this series, where across the board, the skill set is higher, right? Yeah. The like the ability of the players, the quality of the attack, the quality of the actual ability to catch the ball, the passing, the handling, everything is so much higher. Yes. But with one exception, I think in this World Cup, players are much notably worse at executing two on ones. 
Yeah, that's an interesting like, observation. If you saw a two on one in 87, that's something that really like surprised me. They are almost always taken. Yeah. To a degree that's like even that's beyond where we are now. That's an interesting thought. And I mentioned that a few times, like how surprised I was that everyone was executing two on ones. Yeah. But it was the core of the game then, right? It yeah. was drawing and fixing your man because there wasn't drift defense. There wasn't anything else. So players did it flawlessly every time. Mm. And this was kind of a turning point where we had the first kind of takeover of a defense coach. This World Cup was a bit yeah. of a turning point. Well, this and the previous World when Cup. When they realized it's not as black and white that, you know, yeah. you should score every time you have a numerical advantage. Yes. So this World Cup is kind of the first time that I think a defense is credited with winning the title really outright. Good point. I suppose 2003 actually as well. Yeah. But I suppose it happens twice in a row, which is a big turning point, I guess. Yeah. Would be, that we're still feeling the, the outcome of that now. So only really 2015 hasn't been won by the team with the best defence. That's a really good point. Since here. And that was won by the best team there's ever been. Yeah, exactly. A team with an unstoppable attack. Yeah. So it's just, I think, a fascinating point that you had players in this game who just couldn't execute two and ones. Couldn't yeah. take it. You didn't have that at all in 87. No. You had maybe a couple of props. But generally across the board, it was the one skill that was universally stronger in the 80s. It's a really good point. But largely through focus and largely through... Mm. Weirdly, the quality of defence being lower led to the skill set being higher. Because yeah. it was just a core skill that you needed. I think the two things do go hand in hand though, don't yeah. they? That, you know, it goes back to Wayne Smith swapping between attack and defence coaching. Yeah. Because when one gets well, so good, you have to improve the other. Brad Davis, a defence coach, is the Wallabies' new attack coach. Yeah, right. It's starting to happen, those switches back and forth. Certainly. That's a really interesting point. And you're right, there are a lot of two-on-ones that are blown here, even though the core skills are fundamentally so much better than yeah. anything that's come before it. So, second half time? Yes. As, as we look to start the second half, I'd just like to bring up a great bit of insight from Robbie Nock in terms of what he thinks Tonga should do in the second half. And Robbie, what are you hoping to see in this second half? Well, uh, you know, as I've been going for the Tong- Tongans uh, ever since the start, of course, although you didn't listen to me, <laughs> um, I-, I just hope that they don't make many mistakes, the Tongans, you know, and they just, uh, you know, ball to hand, go through the phases, um, you know, push the ball out wide, even drive forward with the, you know, the forwards, of course, you know, gain ground, and then maybe sort of, you know, produce some drop drop goals and, uh, you know, just uh, chew away, chew away, get themselves ahead and rattle the South Africans. Why not? I mean, you know, it could be on the cards. He's named literally everything in rugby. <laughs> everything there. you can do. The only thing he hasn't mentioned is line outs. Yeah, exactly. I just hope they do things. <laughs> and then at the end when I he goes like, they... maybe try and beat them. Yeah. I'll pick an idea. Why not? I, I hope they try every tactic available yeah, to them. Exactly. So which tactics do you think you should do? All of them. Yeah, I think they should do tactics. Just do everything. Just tactics. Just, tactics. just to have some tactics. Just some really good insight. And in a sense, though, he's right. Yeah. When you think about it. He's absolutely spot He's kind of got a point. They should, though. No, he's right. Yeah. I. Why do they keep going and asking the touchline reporter what his thoughts on the game are? I know. Like, in the last ten minutes, they ask him what he thinks the final score is going to be. That's really funny. <laughs> Which is a mental thing to do. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I think they'll get one more penalty, and I think the opposition will get one more try. Yeah. <laughs> and he's more or less right with his prediction. But there's a point where he's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> they say, what do you think the final score is going to be? When it's like 27-15 or something. And he goes, I think it's going to be 22-30. And with three minutes to go, the score is 22-30. <laughs> I think, why? Why would you ask that question? But why would he be spot on? Yeah. Well, clearly that's the, that's the reason yeah. why. And then they start taking the piss out of him for being correct. He's like, guys, I just wanted to, I just wanted to have some fun with you. Guys. It's making a point like, oh, you weren't listening to me. He must have said for the touch like, I'm cheering for Tonga. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah, but we all were. Yeah. I the don't think though, like, that. 
he was a kid. I would have been much worse if I was doing. I mean, I couldn't do his job anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, if I was doing that now, I'd, I couldn't I'd do be any balls jobs. out. Going yeah. like, yeah, I'm supporting Tonga here. Fuck yeah, yeah. I would be wearing the t-shirt. Yeah, I would have exactly. one of those Tongan flag wigs that you see Tongan fans wearing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I'd, I'd get on board with that. Yeah. I, I might would do, do my now. hair like Finau Maka. Yes. I might do that anyway. The very first thing that happens in the second half is South Africa get done for accidental offside or obstruction yes. or whatever and get turned over and they say on comms like, that's exactly what Jake White will have told them not to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's bang on because they have had a frustrating first half where they're in control and suddenly it looks like that control is starting to slip away. Yeah. They've gone in only four points ahead against a team who haven't really... I mean, look, other than the one Tonga Weir try that gets disallowed, they haven't really looked like scoring. Yeah. But... Because of bloody Andres Pretorius missing everything, yeah. they could have been 16 free up instead yeah. of their 7 free up. Exactly. And straight off this, Tonga try a drop goal through Haller, which is the one that we were on about earlier, yeah. narrowly misses. Good option, but and a great strike, but just very unlucky. And again, South Africa go, okay, we've gone away with one there. Pretorius puts the drop out on the full. Yeah. And she's like, you are putting yourself in jail constantly here. And so, off this... Tonga run, a genius, brilliant back row move. I love this. They need to bring this bloody back. I drew it with arrows of movements in my notes, and I love looking at it there even more than I did seeing it live. The thing that makes this back row move particularly easy to run is the fact that they picked four back rowers, and they picked one at 12. You know, they've picked yeah. a number eight at 12 who knows how to run good lines yeah. in Paddy Power, Ipitayoni. Yes. Who runs that switch angle off Maka yeah. brilliantly and stays alive, stays on his feet. Yeah. So nine to a Pilotu, picks and goes from the base. At which point, Tayoni at 12 cuts in on the angle, which is kind of the, the big point. And it looks like it's just one of those, you see all the time, the 12 picking an angle onto the ball. Yeah. Whatever. He takes it. He comes in on the crash ball. You have the South African defence, Billy Pretorius himself, stands up like, oh shit, here we go, here he comes. At which point he flicks it back inside to both eight and seven, are then running the same angle off his shoulder back outfield, yeah. back towards the kind of standard 12 position that he's cut in from. So they end up targeting the space he would have if he'd run straight come at, but all of the South African defence have gone, shit, that guy is enormous and bloody he's got green hair now. So we're <laughs> cutting in on him, we're, our focus is entirely on that guy. Cuts back in, Maka takes it in for a second, offloads to Latu, who's running the same line, like, parallel to him, yeah. off him, gets right up to the 10-meter line. Fantastic move that could work nowadays. It absolutely could, because all you need is six to be quite quick out of the yeah. ruck, so he can actually get over the breakdown when it's eventually taken in. And one of the two lads who's previously taken it mm. and offloaded to also hit that breakdown. One of the If one of those two is on their feet, then you're fine, because nine's already there. Mm. Nine's already come out and given that pass. So Nine's already on his feet, ready to feed it back inside. So in 2020, during the COVID shutdown and everything, Eddie Jones said he thinks by the next World Cup, back row moves would have come back into fashion. Okay. And they haven't. No. They haven't really. You see, every now and again, but they haven't. I wonder if he is right and it is something that could start to work now. Yeah. Because defences aren't watching for it. Defences are watching for so much flashy bullshit behind. Yeah. They're not Look watching how for eight and seven back in. in yeah, know? exactly. You could do a similar thing off a of scrum. Somebody's going to invent that off yeah. a line out. It'll probably well, be bloody lens, though, won't it? But yeah. Yeah, it probably will be. But it's brilliant. Yeah. And so yeah. they crash through. Tom keep the momentum up until bloody Kissy Pulu crashes over. Their picking and driving game, it's really, it's a really good blend of it's fast when it needs to be fast and it's controlled when it needs to be controlled. Yes. And Pulu's one is very much in the controlled category. 
But Finale Maka's latch on Pulu is outstanding. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. As soon as Pulu picks and goes into, I think it's maybe Albert Vandenberg, the second row, mm. who's a big unit. Maka just targets him straight away. Yeah. And he comes from behind and then just goes beyond him and just take, just tackles the tackler essentially and gets him on the deck. But Maka had been part of the Toulouse team that won a European Cup a couple of times in the lead up, went on to win it again after this and was a bit of a big get for Tong when they finally convinced him to play for them. Yeah. And his impact is enormous, but it's not just the things he actually does. Yeah. Like his ball carrying, his tackling, his breakdown work, all phenomenal. But both the little things he does in terms of stuff like this, of like assisting, mm. but also just like the presence he has. Yeah. Like there are very few players who have the presence on the field that he has. Like Michael Leach has it. Yeah. Sia Khaleesi has it. There's just like every now and again you get an athlete that almost always back rowers or hookers, sometimes centers, but who just have like this presence on the field that you can't ignore, you can't overcome. Like Mamuku Kogodze. Mamuku Kogodze is yeah. a great example. Mia McAvey for Romania as well actually kind of, sure. kind of has it, but yeah. like not I know what you to the same extent. But um, it's when Pulu scores that, yeah. he gets up and is roaring with pride. The cameras are all on Maka. Yeah. And Maka then runs up the touchline, goes to the Tongans and waves his arms at them going, come on, like give us more, give us more, keep, you know, driving us on. And I love that. Yeah. I love a front man on the rugby field. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Ruby Tui doing it really yeah, well. Ruby exactly. Tui has the same energy actually, yeah. which is rare for a winger. But yeah, yeah it's makes such a difference, his involvement before the try and after. Yeah. Pulu so deserves this try. Yeah. He's been so good around the parkour game and in the tight. Like, it's uh, brilliant. Big fan of the fact that Kissy Pulu isn't involved a lot, but he makes his impacts count. Yes. So he scrummages incredibly well. He only really carries five metres out. He can't be bothered yes. doing anything else. But, like... There's a few times where he comes in the breakdown, he basically just sits on it. Yeah. Like, and you can't shift him. No. There's a point where, yeah, Backy's Porter and Donny Rousseau both go in to try and clear him, mm. and neither of them can shift him. He's like, basically on his own, just sat there. Like a Tongan Adam Jones. Yeah, exactly. Just like, he's just this like, Easter Island statue, waiting there, and you've got Backy's Porter trying to drive with his shoulder against him. Absolutely no impact whatsoever. Yeah. Just like, he's, every task he takes on, he is brilliant, and he doesn't try any tasks he's not good at. <laughs> I'll tell you what, after this try, so Tonga go 7-10 up, mm. and Jake White breaks the glass. This is this is the big moment in the game. I think it this is. is like the biggest, yeah. most significant moment of the game. When the camera cuts the touchline, and you go, I went oh, out loud, like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, it's happening. Yeah. I'm going to incorrectly use this term. The bomb squad mm. are ready mm. to come on. It's technically the bomb squad and more. Yes. But... They, South Africa, all at once, Jake White, clearly, uh, it's such a great moment where he looks at all of these guys that he's gone, look, you're young talents or people that we've trusted to come in and you have failed us. Yeah. Like, you have been fucking shit. He goes <laughs> to these guys. And so they bring on BJ Borter, John Smith, Victor Matfield, Francois Stain and Brian Habana all at once. They bring on the world reigning junior player of the year. Two of the nominees for World Player of the Year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And their captain. Yeah. Yeah. And BJ Borter, and who's yeah. a huge, frightening prop. One of the best scrummaging props in the world at the time. Yeah. What a great sight that is. And, like, Julie's comes off. Who are you? First and foremost. <laughs> it's that cut to Brian Habana stood close to the camera. 
And you see that, oh, her band is coming on. Okay, it's serious. And then you spot behind him, Victor Matfield, and then Francois Stain. Yeah. And then John Schmidt kind of walks into the shot at the last minute, and you're like, <laughs> don't forget oh, me. Oh, they're doing it. Yeah. All but of them at once. The thing is, this rope raises South Africa, them kind of coming in. But also, I think it shakes them a bit, the fact that this team's gone like, oh, we're not being trusted. They don't yeah. believe in us here. That's it. On the comms, they say that's Tonga's first win right there, which yeah. I love as a line of commentary. Because it is. It right? is. And you see Tonga as well visibly go up a gear the moment that happens. South Africa have admitted defeat. Yeah. They've gone, you know what, we won't beat you with the team we've got on at the moment. We need to bring on our first team to beat you. We need to bring on the best team in the world at this time. They yeah. want to win this competition with that team. Yeah. Right. The team that comes off the bench is the team this that wins the This is the only way final. we can beat you. Yeah. We need them. And... It's such a huge boost for Tonga. Like, yeah. you see Tonga go up a few gears and say, yeah. like, oh, they've Bring broken on. the glass. Yeah, they've yeah. brought on Bloody Habana. They've brought on Matt Field. It's arguably the best back and the best forward in the world at the yeah. time. exactly. Exactly. And Robbie Knox says on the sideline that the lads coming off are absolutely fuming. They're kicking yeah. the floor, kicking corner flags, you know. They're absolutely done with themselves. Razi Erasmus says... I would never bring somebody off for playing badly. Yeah. You know, I want you to run yourself into the ground and then he'll bring you off. Jake White's brought all these off for playing badly. Yeah. Or playing not to the standard that he wants. Andres Pretorius stays on the field though. Yeah, which is weird. But what I think is really significant out of this, you say Tonga really raised their game. Brian Habana's first carry of the ball. Mm. He gets it on a counter-attack and he has a run. And Brian Habana has this really specific style of running where he accelerates straight away and you go, he's untackable because he's that fast. They chop him to the floor and Neely Lati turns him over yes. on his first touch of the ball. And that, that's such a statement of just like, yeah, we don't care. It we, we're not scared a, of you. We've beaten your second team. Now we're going to beat your first. We're going to yeah. take their names one by one. Yeah. And so, like, as I said, they, Habana's first involvement, he is absolutely nailed. And turned uh, over. Matt yeah. Fields, first, the first line after this, where Matt Fields first on, they took like three people up in the air. And obviously, that's a spring box to secure it. Yeah. But, like, they're like, we're just going to bother all of you. Yeah. Like, Schmidt and Matfield are on now. Okay, we'll try and get in their heads. And I will say, we've said all this about Tonga getting in their heads and stuff. These lads make a difference. Yeah. Oh, These yeah. lads are all brilliant because they're the best players in the also world. Also worth mentioning, Joan Smith's on as well. He's already come off yes. an injury. Who plays very well. Yeah, he plays very well. So you've got this full, like, new energised team. And boy, do they instantly make it. Well, not instantly. The sort of five minutes of Tonga, like, really standing up to them and fronting up. Yeah. The moment South Africa get an inch, they're like, no, we're yeah. on this. Yeah. And like Matfield in particular, I think when he comes on, he really starts to make the Tongan line out shake a little bit. Yeah. And they start second guessing everything because they know Matfield's going to crack their code. So, yeah, I... Or already has, maybe from the bench. I may change my mind on this and do it. I'm, I was really tempted to give Victor Matfield man of the match. Yeah, me too. I think he turns the game. South Africa have sort of 10, 15 minutes where they pull away. Yeah. Where just they take control of the game completely to an extent that Tonga don't manage to catch up. I mean, mm. they get close, but they don't. And Victor Matfield is just imperious yeah. in that period in every facet of the game, every area, every possible position you could want a rugby player, never mind yes. a second row in. He's phenomenal. I would decide later on what rationale I pick my man of the match on yes. once we've finished talking about it, because I think that's important. Agreed. But if we do it proportionate to minutes played, Victor Matfield is by such a (laughs) stretch the best player on the park. Yeah. Everything he does is incredible. South Africa do not, categorically do not win this game without bringing him on. I, if they do, they scrape by by a point or something. You know, maybe. I don't think they win this game without him. I, if this game remains as it is, I'm not sure. Mm. Because I think they also, crucially, shortly after this, about 15 minutes after they bring on the others, they bring on Percy Montgomery 
for Andres Pretorius. Yes. Which is a big shift. They move Rupi the, the Wales flanker, Andres Pretorius. Yes, yes. Andres Pretorius, sorry. And I think that's a big shift as well. Yeah. They clearly went into this game knowing we've got a couple of options who can cover 10 in that they had Francois Stein can cover there. They had Ruben Pinar obviously yeah. can cover there. But they didn't have another player who was a specialist fly off in the team. Yes. So they clearly went in thinking, we want Pretorius to play 80 minutes, hence why they didn't bring him off initially. Yeah. He stays on for far longer. But then they're going, no, he's playing so badly, we have to get him off the field. Yeah, he had an absolute shocker. And you're right, yeah, they eventually pull him off. And... He literally comes off as he's lining up a conversion. Yes, of course. And they just go, no, we don't trust you to even take yeah. this. Take your sand elsewhere. Percy's got a tea. Also, <laughs> yeah. well, shortly after the others come on, he misses another shot at goal. At which point they give the kicking to Francois Stein. Yeah. And he takes a long range shot, nails it. Yeah, obviously. And suddenly there's a bit of daylight. They start to pull away a bit. Yeah. And that allow. Well, no, there isn't. They're just ahead again. Yeah. Well, they originally go to 10 all. Sorry, they go to 10 all. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's that other try where. Pienaar finds himself on the wing, chips it in field, and you go, oh, that's a bit of a speculative chip. Why has he done that? And realize, oh, it's the man bloody- decided Brian Habana. Like, obviously he's going to cover that ground effortlessly because he's Brian bloody Habana. And their ball is so quick. They're so quick into position. And these lads fresh off the bench are all doing their jobs perfectly. Van der Linde has a really nice touch in this. Yeah. Well, so Victor Matfield's offload is sensational. It's... Proper inside centre stuff from yeah. Matfield. I mean, he's just like the complete, the most wonderful rugby player. I am glad we, I've got to wank over Victor Matfield more in this series. Yeah. Because on the 2011 series, it wasn't the kind of peak of his career. It, and the it sort of was, World but it was Cup, because of line outs, which we don't know much about. True. true rather true, true, than true, true, his true. broken field stuff. But I think like the pinnacle of his career was sort of around this World Cup to about two years afterwards. Yeah. And he was still the best second row in the world in 2011. Yeah. But he wasn't to this degree where he is the best rugby player in the world. Like, yeah. If you're putting together a... He's goated. Yeah. If you're putting together like a top five players of the tournament so far, he's in there for me. Yeah. He is unbelievable in the poor stage. Every single game. Yeah. Every minute of every game, every facet, every area. I wholeheartedly he is agree. brilliant. Yeah. And his role with the ball in hand in the wide channels here I is didn't as good know as that you was could expect. Thing. Yeah. As good as you could expect from any international centre at this point. Yeah. Better than the centre who bloody started the game for South Africa. That's yeah, true. Because it, originally you look at it and go like, oh, he's not throwing that pass even though he has men over. Yeah. But it's the right thing because Tonga will just jam in yeah. on him. And Particularly when you the see the, the overhead angle. Yeah. And you see what he's doing and what he's thinking. Yeah. Like, oh, he's, this is bloody 4 so chess. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He's waiting, he's timing, he's wanting the guy to bite in on him. And he does, he throws the offload off the ground. Yeah. Glorious. Van der Linde takes it in. Can't quite make it to the line. Stopped an inch short. And South yeah. Africa got a couple of phases of real pace. And eventually, Joanne Smith picks a brilliant line. The overs line away from the breakdown. Yeah. As Tonga are all filtering in. And it, again, it's calculated. He knows exactly where Tonga are going. And just goes, I'll just go on your outside then. Yeah. Dives close to the posts. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Really well taken. Really efficient. Yeah. That try. It's really well finished. Try. Really well worked. Superb. Yeah. And South Africa do put their foot on the gas a little bit from after this. Almost immediately as well. Yeah. Almost immediately they spring one of the best tries of the tournament. Stain, January, Peterson, all linking up in midfield. All just... You know that viral video of three professional footballers playing against 100 kids? And they're just going around each other and finding space and it's just... It looks like a training drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of that. And then guess who gets the ball again? Victor on the wing. Bloody Matfield on the wing. Who throws 
an unbelievable pass. Yeah, makes kind of the half break. Brilliant pass to... Is it to Van der Linde again? It's one of the... Pro- is it Bota? I it might be Bota, yeah. But Van der Linde pops up in this try again, doesn't he? Yeah. Who? Well, he pops it off the ground again. And tell you what, Bobby Skinstad, who we haven't mentioned, running out as captain here. Yeah. Worth noting, like this was kind of very much the, 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 the tail end of his career. This is where he... I kind of view him here as where Dwayne Vermeulen is at the minute. Sure. And he's still in the squad. He's still good enough to be a Springbok. But he's not the player he once was. Perhaps. He's there for his presence rather than anything else, isn't he? Exactly. And he still is a capable enough player. But I think he has a pretty good game he's here. Pretty good, yeah. He has a pretty good game. He here. does very well to finish this try. Yeah. He's and really this is strong in the corner. This is his final try for the spring box. Oh, fair enough. And he takes it superbly. Yeah. I like it's Bobby's a brilliant start. finish. Yeah. Yeah, no, he does take it really well. Keeps his keeps his feet just inside the touchline. I thought he was out from the first angle. Yeah. I didn't see how this could be given until you see one replay. Yeah. It's very similar to one of the Tongan tries later on, isn't mm. it? It's touch and go, but I'm glad it was given. You know. However, Barnes. right, we have to wait a while before seeing the replay. Because Wayne Barnes says, I'm going to go to the TMO, but first... <laughs> but first, whilst that try was being scored, a fight has broken out. So, it's Joseph Vacker fighting against both Francois Stein and Bucky's Borta. I say that because Bucky's Borta wasn't originally involved, but if there's a fight, he is magnetised yeah. to it. He can't help it. He's trying to back up and run support on a try, but he just ends up walking backwards. So it's a winger versus Bucky's Borta, essentially. <laughs> yeah. But the winger is Vaca. Yeah. Who isn't really like, a winger. That's the thing. Like, if they're saying the fight was Vaca against Stein, and this is like twin Kira, Francois Stein, yeah. I know who I'm backing. <laughs> yes. Francois Stein is absolutely fuming for, yeah. throughout this whole thing. Wayne Barnes, from the both grown men, comes over. He has a moment because like, I'm going to TMO to review the try. Regardless of what happens, we didn't get clear evidence a punch was thrown. However, I'm giving you both yellow cards. It would have been a red card if we did see a punch. There's then, once Vacker leaves, he says, presumably, I don't know if the fourth official to the touch judge, whoever. Or to Robbie Nock. Yeah. <laughs> didn't say it to Barnes at the time on the field. That he was bitten? And then on the touchline, he shows two other players bite marks on, on his, his hand. hand. Yeah. This goes Man. unpunished. This doesn't seem to, you know, get caught up in whatever. But he got bitten. Which is, unless he bit himself. Yeah. Not on. No. <laughs> no. No. Pack it in. Yeah, you're grown men. Yeah. But Francois Stein's very unhappy about something as well, mm. so... We don't hear what's said is the thing. Yes. To potentially provoke something like that. Whether it was Francois Stein who bit him or indeed Bucky's Borta, because let's be honest, would we put it past him? Absolutely Probably not. not. But yeah, it's not a good look. I think it's fair enough that they both go to the bin because they both need a cooling down regardless. Yeah. I mean, so Francois Stein got cited for biting the week after. Okay. He was cleared of it and not banned. The judicial officer accepted 20-year-old Stain's plea that he did not bite Vacker. Okay. He was supported by Vacker, who said the mark on his hand could have happened by accident. Hmm. A likely But there story. was a bite mark on his hand. Yeah, there certainly was. And he was. was like, there's definitely a bite mark. And he yeah. was like, but it could have been an accident. <laughs> you could have been hungry. Great. So yeah, Barnsley sends them both to the bin, which is probably good for the game. And South Africa have Montgomery on to slot the conversion over. They go 22-10 up. Note on Percy Montgomery, though. Yeah. Montgomery comes on to win his 90th cap, which is notable because it breaks the record 
makes him the most capped Springbok of all time, overtaking US van der Westhuizen's record of 89. It does. So it's a big day for him. It makes you wonder why they didn't bring him on in the But did they want to give him his own moment? I think that's probably it, isn't it? But the thing is, they bring him on as the lining up the conversion. So they literally have to like hand the tea over to him. Yeah. They've got a tea at this point. It's not bloody sand. Yeah. So he can just knock it over. Yeah. And obviously he does it just yeah. with pure calmness. Montgomery, in his first 18 seconds on the field, kicks as many points <laughs> as Pretorius managers in over an hour. That's brilliant. Love it. The next thing I have written down also involves Victor Matfield because he's just inescapable at this point. When they throw it to him in a wide channel in their own 22 and he managed to dance around somebody and give it to J.P. Peterson who makes a break off it. Mm. And it's just literally everything he's doing is incredible. Peterson makes this outstanding break down the right-hand touchline. Like shows about the, that, 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 that thing that he that, did. Like, Upper body strength he's got, where he can yeah. just like bust through tackles yeah. without them slowing him down at all. And he offloads to John Smith. John Smith. John Smith's involvement here, superb. Excellent. Instant Talk me turn of pace, manages to round his man somehow, which you don't think of John Smith as being that kind of player. No. Gets on the outside and manages to link up again. Yeah. And links up with who in particular? Off the floor? Ooh, it's, it's funny you should ask, isn't it? Not a particularly special player who's no. of any note, really. A guy called Victor Matfield. Yeah, some young lad with long hair and a yeah. scrum cap. Yeah, and Victor Matfield comes in as a scrum half and just times the pass perfectly, gives it nice and early to Rowan Pienaar, who just runs into the corner. Superb try. Again, like, it's a phenomenal so mission. It looks fan- fantastic. Yeah. We haven't done it justice describing it. Not it's at worth all. watching. Yeah, but again, so effortless yeah. to go basically the length of the field. And that's where you're kind of thinking, well, this is the game done. That's yeah. the game decided. There's no yeah. way. That's three tries on the trot. On earth. Yeah, it's about... And, those are in the space of maybe five minutes. Yeah. Three tries, five or six minutes. Yeah. So you feel like Tonga are dropping off, but South Africa have been very fun and very good value for it. Yeah. Yeah. And also Neely Latu comes off at this point, who has run himself into the yeah, ground. Yeah, he can barely stand up. Yeah. Literally, he goes and sits down on the sideline. E.P. Tones is the same when he comes off, and they just can't even make it as far as the bench because they're yeah. that spent. And fair play. It's not the wrong decision to bring Latu off, even though he's been one of the best players on the pitch. Yeah. However... There's a momentum swing again, almost right off the kickoff. Tonga also make loads of slow changes to kill the momentum at this point. Ah. So, I don't know if it's deliberate by Kudusfilela on the sideline, but they make the, all their subs one by one, and they bring on about four players on the same stoppage before the kickoff comes. Mm. And South Africa's momentum just dies. But, go on. Yes, so, almost instantly, Tonga get the ball back. Somehow, through miracle work, end up with the ball, and they go wide to wide. Almost in more in hope than expectation, you've got Pierre Holler throwing his like slinging long balls, yep. doing his ridiculous little stabs, doing all of it, and he goes out wide because he realizes they've got a bloody enormous overlap. And what's your take? So Hafuanga ends up with it with three men outside him and only one defender. Yeah, and <sighs> this is a really difficult one to understand. I think whether he does the right thing or the wrong thing. It is. Because naturally, I go, go wide, pass it. Yeah. You've got three-man overlap. But at the same time, he's Suga Hufanger. He breaks those half-tackles all the time. And he knows he just has to beat a series of them to and score. The other thing is, right, so it's Brian Habana coming in to make the tackle on him. And he yeah. flies in from outside his eye line and grabs him and kind of spins. And the way in which Habana is tackling him is likely to make the pass... To throw your arms off, you know, yeah. to make it more difficult yeah. to actually throw and thread the pass. For sure. So I don't think it's a terrible decision that he doesn't pass when you see it on that angle. But also... Hindsight helps, doesn't if it? If he gives it, it's... Yeah, it's probably a try. But... But... 
the situation then changes because Habana finds himself having made that tackle, having got Hovanga to ground. He then goes, well, I'm, we've got the ground now. I'm just going to stay here. It's quite nice here. But he and, knows that Tonga are about to score, don't yeah. you? You know, because they, if they recycle. This is the thing about Brian Habana, right? One, if there's, there's three things you need to about Brian Habana, right? One, rapid and brilliant try scorer. Yeah. Two, once he faced an opponent who was very slow on the turn and video analysis helped him spot that. <laughs> yes. And three, secretly, this was something that no one ever talked about with Brian Habana, or not very often, cynical bastard who knew how to cheat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no one talks about it about Brian Habana. He was an excellent cheater. If you're a world-class springbok, you're going to have to be. Yeah. He knew when to dive. I mean that as a positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the best divers. Yeah. To the point in which, actually, by the end of his career, it was a bit of a problem because he dived so often. Not often all the time. Yeah. But, like, you Referees knew he looked out for it. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that he was good at it. You knew yeah. he was good at spotting moments to dive. Yeah. But also, he knew when to cheat. Yeah. As which well is a as really any good thing to yeah, yeah, to know on a rugby field. And, and yeah, it does. I mean, just... that's a positive. Yeah. This is a good penalty to give away. Most referees don't bin a winger here. Yeah, because they've not given away a possession of penalties in their own half, in yeah. their own 22, South Africa. This is like the first one in the second half, and really. He's a winger who's just come on. Yeah. You know, he's a... He can do the puppy dog eyes to bet Wayne Barnes. Yeah. Like, so many wingers can do that. And Wayne Barnes has none of it. And it's really good refereeing. If literally any player in the team is getting away with it, it's him. Yeah. And he knows that. Yeah. However, Barnes does not let him get away with it. Yeah. So he has binned instantly and he throws up complaint. Not as many as Francois Stain. No. Who, fun point about Francois Stain as well, right? He said in his disciplinary thing, I just came in to break up the fight. It was Baki's having the fight itself. <laughs> of, course, of course. So, and he was like, he was really pissed off when he walked off. You could see how angry he was. And like That's when brilliant. Habana goes over to join him, Stain is still fuming about the fact he's been binned. Apparently he just went and grabbed him and pulled him away <laughs> and he got binned for that. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. But, it then becomes 14 on 13. And I've always said this, we've had this conversation before off air, but like, I think a 14 on 13 advantage is significantly yes. bigger than a 15 on 14 advantage. Agreed. Because the amount of space on a rugby field you can accommodate with 14 players, mm. it's so much harder with 13, yeah. which is why rugby league has so many tries in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So suddenly things start to open up. Yeah. And Tonga look for 800 ways to exploit the space. <laughs> 700 of them. The first 700 are pick and goes. Yeah. And they go for the scrum off the penalty. Yeah. And South Africa drop a man into the back line. So they drop Juan Smith onto the left wing and when go a man short on the scrum. You can afford to. Yeah. Or not dominant. You've got a scrum as good as that. That will survive. Yeah. yeah. at least. And you're right. Like they pick and go for absolutely ages. Like they've got 700 pick and goes in them. And on the 699th, <laughs> who should call it out but Pierre Holler in his inspired mode who goes for a cross kick that you will now call pinpoint. Yes. But is also ambitious. Yeah, I think those two things can exist at the same time. Yeah. He hangs it pretty far in front of Hufanger, but right on the try line. Yeah. And Hufanger takes it in the air brilliantly as Montgomery is taking him in the air. Yes. Who is, you know, Montgomery tackles him early. Like, if he doesn't finish this, there's a yellow card here. Sure. However, he regathers it and somehow gets it down. It's a very... Crazy finish. First few replays, I was sure there was no way he could have done it. Yeah. Could have got in there. Similar to the skin sad one. Yeah. The moment you see he is in, yeah. that it is a try. Bloody hell, that's yeah. a finish. It's phenomenal. It's his second best ever finish against a tier <laughs> one nation in a rugby world cup from a crossfield kick yeah. that he's ever done. Holler absolutely shanks the conversion for that yeah. try. <laughs> There's he no is, way to do one. Yeah. And then the next note I have written down is, here it is. 
Mine is, ah, what is happening? Scenes, stop doing bants. The scenes are happening. Stop doing bants. <laughs> Straight from the kickoff, we have one of the greatest tries ever scored in the history of the Rugby World Cup. Immediately after they've just got themselves back in the game. We've both seen this try a lot of times. A lot of times. I didn't know this was straight from the kickoff. Yeah. It's not quite a dog is on the pitch, so therefore John Kerwin scores. Yes. But in terms of sequences <laughs> of events that only make tries that you know that are famous better. Yes. Because Tonga look unbeatable at this point. They look unstoppable. Yeah. It looks like when this happens, you think they're going to score 10 more after this. Yeah. There's no way you can defend that. So from the kickoff, they give it to Pierre Holler who inside his own 22 does this fantastic crossfield kick to Tavita Tuathua on the right wing. We're not seeing much of him in attack mm. in this game. And he gets it and looks like the most confident player who has had, who's been on fire all game, weaves inside and outside. Olafia, I think, is covering a cross. And also, before it even gets to him, Percy Montgomery tries to half volley the crossfield kick. Yes. In, and it yeah. goes into Tuathua's hands. Which is, that's the kind of problem here, isn't it? They're like, Montgomery goes for an incredibly high-risk defensive strategy that does not pay off at all, but most importantly, takes him out of the game. Yeah. He could have gone for a tackle and managed to readjust and get back, but instead he flies up to try and hack it on. And there's a chance that results in a try for the Springboks, and you're like, what was all they doing? But it doesn't, and it takes Montgomery completely out of the game because he misses the kick. Yeah. He misses the volley. Yeah. And once Tuafura is tackled, he pops off the floor to mm. Vongalilo. And... Ooh, Vungalilo has a very Vungalilo game in this game. He does. By which I mean there's at least four points where he takes the ball at fullback and he just runs in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, sure. And here, he runs not quite in a straight line. It's a sort of diagonal line. And then he spots, he spots space in which there is nobody. No South Africans nor no Tongans. <laughs> it's a very unconventional thing to do at this point. It's, yes. He chips it whilst he's already on a line break with not many people in front of him. Yeah. And not for himself to chase as that's well. That's it. And technically you look at that and think, is the best way to get that there a pass? But also, no, it's not because he's at full speed. Yeah. And the guy he wants to pass to is like 30 metres away from him and you can't possibly pass that backwards to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Without it getting intercepted. And because you're used to, if someone kicks that, right, they're kicking for themselves. Yeah. And often it is a bad decision unless you are Brian Habana pace. Sure. Because fullbacks can turn easily, you know, there's cover coming across. Yeah. Fine. They've already turned back. Whereas you've got to just slow down to do the kick, re-accelerate, everything else. But instead, when you notice it's not for himself, it's for someone running in a straight line versus someone who's turning, who's been looking at him, who's then has to turn back. Suddenly it becomes a genius moment. Yeah. Because essentially, he's found one blade of grass on the pitch where what he's doing is he's making it just a straight foot race between Viliami Vaki and Ruan Pinar. And just whoever gets that particular blade of grass where the ball is going to land first is the winner. And yeah. Ruan Pinar goes into full-on goalkeeper mode at this point. He sprints across, makes himself as big as possible because he knows what Vaki's going to do. Vaki's going to try and dribble it round him because if he dives on it, he's not scoring. And he, he has to go for the all or nothing, dribble it across the floor and try and get there and dive on it first. And so he puts a massive boot on it because uh, he gets there first, Vaki does. Pinar does his best to just dive, to just get in the way, do absolutely anything to stop him scoring here. And yeah, Vaki gets there first and dribbles it round him. It's amazing. Regathers it and somehow runs it in from there. Yeah, dives under the post. Dives under the post. On the ball. Holler weirdly takes his time with the conversion. Yeah. Whereas we're all going, ah! Whilst watching this. What a try. What an exceptional try it is. Yeah. 
Tonga then get the ball off the kickoff again. Despite letting it bounce, idiots. Yeah, so they get let it bounce. I don't know how they get away with it. No. Nope. They somehow do. The score's 22-27 now, by the way, to South Africa. Yeah. And the crowd starts to pick up, not to the degree I'd expect it, to be honest, but I think a lot of that is quelled a bit by South Africa almost immediately getting a shot at goal. Yeah. Again, what you're saying about Jake White, the one thing he didn't want, this is kind of the one thing that Tonga were really not wanting yeah. here. From a mall, they just collapse it because they just go... Yeah. They kind of panic, I think. And not in a bad way. Yeah. It's probably the best thing that they panicked. But So, obviously, by this point, they've got Percy Montgomery on the field rather than Pretorius. So he slots it effortlessly. Yeah. Gets them to 30-22, which you kind of feel has got to be, and the commentators are saying this at the time, it's got to be an unassailable lead. There's you know, five minutes kinda, left. Like. Yeah. Yet... This game continues at such like a ridiculous pace in the second half. It's barely kicked off by the time Tonga were given another penalty advantage. They play for a while, at which point the touch just steps in and goes, actually, there's another penalty 20 metres further from field. <laughs> yeah, because CJ Van der Linden just shoulder barged somebody. Yeah. Which I didn't see, but I believe no. it. So suddenly Tonga have a penalty instead of being on the 10 metre line. They have it 30 metres out. And it goes 100 miles an hour, by the way. Really interesting decision. Really interesting decision that they go for goal. I back it. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. yeah. The commentators discuss it, but there's three minutes left, which is... By the time you go and set the line out and go for them all and everything else. You've got a minute yeah. to score. So it ends up with, they flop the goal over. Pierre Holler does not hang around this time as he did 30, in the 30-25. There's five points in it. There's a minute and a half left. One error decides this game. Yeah. Now, one moment of absolute magic. And we're so close to seeing it. Yeah. Because Tonga get the ball, like South Africa go long from the kickoff. Tonga have to work it from their own 22. And by this point, South Africa back up to 15. And you think the yeah. chance is gone. I thought that was, you know, kind of yeah. it. Was the moment they were back up to 15, that was gone. And yet they somehow magically, over about 10 phases, really slowly worked the ball up to halfway. Oh, and the moment they hit halfway over those just like very slow, very steady carries, suddenly they explode into life. There's the When Harvea catches the kickoff and just lobs this rapid mm. bullet pass in field to Filippini running onto it. You go, no, because you think he's going to yeah. drop it. And he makes a break. But that's it. Like, I'm con- I was convinced there was going to be an error everywhere yeah. up until they cross the halfway line. And he pops it up to Afiaki, who makes yeah, a no, full, clean yeah. break. And at that point, we know what the, the score is. At this point, I shouted, go on! <laughs> like, I genuinely yeah. shouted, go on! Because I, I so wanted him to go the whole way. And it is, like, the closer Tonga get, the more and more you start to believe they can do this. Yeah. Kizzy Pulu makes a half break because South Africa are panicking. Tonga are throwing every miracle ball, yeah. which is a risky thing when you is the last play. Yeah, but also it means that they're and the Lilo dummy stepping inside. Yeah, and it's just like these things shouldn't be working. They weren't working in the rest of the game. Why are they working now? And South Africa are working really hard to get around the field, and yet they're so rattled. Robbie Knott gives the great piece of advice that I'd maybe pick the ball up and go- give it to one of these big lads. Yes. Which is actually good advice. It is. And they somehow work it up to 22. And you're thinking, this is on here. This is on. Man. And... <sighs> we've got five seconds left of this game, and I feel like we've got an eternity to discuss. It's just like, it's one of the <sighs> most weird, heartbreaking, heart-in-the-mouth moments. As Look... We've had it a few times on this series, this podcast, where we've done a couple of episodes in the, the wrong order, where we've had to mm. slightly jumble it about. I'm so glad we didn't do that in this episode and the last one, because I think it's quite significant what happens here. As the ball gets to Pierre Holler. Yes. 
and you see his body language and you go, no, no. Like, he's shaping to kick and I you go, Why would you no, do that? don't do this. Yeah. Don't do this. My heart dropping, sinking, everything. You think this is just the worst decision he could be making in this moment. Yeah. They've been so patient up until here. They've probably worked through like 12, 15 phases and they've got from their own 22 to South African 22. All the momentum is with them. Yeah. Don't risk this. And yet, he goes for the absolute all or nothing play. So he goes for, the reason why I brought up that thing about the podcasts and the way we've ordered it, mm. he goes for the exact same kick that Michelac yes. sent to Vincent Clair in the last episode. Yes. Where he's noticed that the wing is coming across in the backfield, so you switch it back that way, and a and lucky bounce. Spreading or, up, yeah. Yeah. Tuafua is chasing after that, he's herring after that, he's in the perfect position, and... The thing is, I was expecting, because of the way he kicks it, you expect it to overshoot because it's on the outside of his boot. But it lands perfectly. However, we then get a perfect demonstration of why Michelac's kick was so special. Okay. Because the difference is, right, you look at that and you go, the really phenomenal thing about Freddie Michelac's kick, from a glance, it's like, oh, he's managed to aim it onto this spot that he isn't looking at in the opposite direction to where his body's facing, right? Yeah. Which is a phenomenal bit of skill. Yes. Pierre Holler can do that bit. The really impressive bit you realise seeing this about Michelax is he then gets it to bounce up straight yes. so that it's there perfectly for Vincent Clair to run onto, which is the bit where Pierre Holler suddenly trips over and the ball bounces up in the air and you're thinking, is this going straight into the hand? Is this going to be the try? And by the way, two is completely unmarked at this point. Yeah. It's him versus the ball versus the touchline. And you've no got, South Africans in shot. Banner is tracking across, but he's not getting there in not, time. Not getting he's near. He's not getting, like, he is finishing this. Like, yeah. he probably can't, Banner is in position to stop and take it under the post, right? Yes. But this is probably going to be the try to equalise. Yeah. And then give Holler the kick in the corner. Yeah. However, the ball bounces out of play. And it is heartbreaking and huge. It's and a horribly unlucky bounce in that it is quite a normal bounce. Yes. Which is so unexpected yes. because it originally goes upwards yeah. and then dies into touch. And then just falls over the touchline. So for half a second you go, oh, when we were going, no, that's the wrong yeah. thing. Then immediately you transition to, no, that's absolutely the right option. Because it's, in a way, it was the right option. In fact, I think it probably was because yeah. they weren't going to just break down that South African defence. Because look... There is not a world in which that South African defence weren't working hard enough. Yeah. There yeah, was no yeah, world yeah, in which yeah. they got around them because they weren't going to work into position quickly enough. That's the one thing that box were never going to do. So they had to try something completely different. And the fact that that was impacted by something that happened the night before, the trick play. Yeah. And they tried the same thing. And it nearly led to one of the biggest shock upsets in the history of the Rugby World Cup. It's huge. and In the last play of incredible. the game. And it's such a full gamut of emotions those last 10 seconds yeah and then when the final whistle goes and you feel so flat because you're like oh that was that was it it wasn't an error that's heartbreaking and it wasn't the euphoria like the moment of brilliance of Juan Smith getting a turnover or something no instead it was a moment of luck yeah like of not quite enough luck and they went yeah like Pierre Holler's kick was good enough that they needed like a three in ten chance for to not score off yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And those three in ten chances are still really high. Exactly. That's still too high. That's still you know almost a third that they lost, and it's it's heartbreaking and it's horrible. What but a fucking game! Tonga end the game twenty five thirty. 
Losing bonus point, but not the win. And they're so proud of themselves. They get yeah. into the huddle afterwards, and obviously they're in tears, but they're so, yeah. so proud. And really hard game to know how to feel about it. It is. Because they're disappointed that they lost. Yeah. And Neil Lottie says that in the post-match yeah. interview. He says, look, it's a shame we lost, but obviously, like... We, we, nobody gave us a chance of doing this. Yeah. Both him and Skinstad speak really, really well in the post-match mm. interview. Skinstad is really complimentary to the Tongans and said, look, I think we're actually all right today. We just need to be a lot better than that yeah. in the knockouts. But yeah, huge game, huge performance. What a game. Shall we do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Yeah, let's quickly do this. So let's do Dick of the Day first. Because sure. It's Andrew Pretorius. It's Andrew Pretorius. I, we spent it's, the podcast explaining it's Andrew Pretorius. It's, it's Andrew Pretorius. No second. I had it previously because his latest came undone before kickoff. <laughs> he gets dick of the day despite the fact Vungalila once accidentally volleyed the ball into touch in his own 22. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's a phenomenal moment of shit in the bed. But yeah. It's Andrew Pretorius. No, Andrew no, no yeah. discussion. Man of the match. Man of the match. There's a few. There's a few. I've not quite decided. Tony Tongawee was amazing. Yes. Kizzy Pulu. Kizzy Pulu was Incredible. The full tongue and back row. Yes. Full tongue and back row. Um, Latu and Maka in particular, I think, are yeah. outstanding. I think we have to mention Pierre Holler. Yeah. Because he had such an influence on the game. Uh, yeah. Ruan Pino was good South Africa. Yes. I think Juan Smith and Donnie Rousseau are kind of on and off for each other. Sure. There's a kind of dubious medical situation happening there where really Rousseau should just be staying off. Yeah. But I think both of them are very good when they're on the pitch. But as we addressed earlier, mm. the elephant in the room is that, in my eyes... South Africa don't win this game without bringing Victor Matfield off the bench. Agreed. He plays 25 minutes or thereabouts, maybe 30 minutes. I think 30 minutes. And he has the biggest influence on the game of virtually any player. Yeah. And yes, I can't bring myself to say that Neely Latu or Kissy Pulu aren't man of the match. <laughs> you feel? Yeah. I mean, so I, my dilemma, Latu, I think is phenomenal and very close. I think he's kind of third place. Yeah. My one and two, weirdly, are Victor Matfield. But Pierre Holler, really, who I think kind of has the game of his life. He's incredible. Of trying all of these mad things that he's done all the time. Like so many tens would go into the shell here, wouldn't yeah, they? And he doesn't at all. Like even when South Africa pull ahead, the sheer balls of him to try that kick in the last play that could have come off, and the crossfield, I kind of respect. For the, yeah, the Vaki try. So I think I'm giving it to Pierre Holler. Yeah, um, I love it. Which I wouldn't have seen coming. No, and I think he has a bizarre, mad game. Yeah. But I respect the hell out of every mistake he makes. And I love every positive contribution he That's made. That's really, really good decision. I'm not going to give it to Victor Matfield, I've decided. Okay. Because I want to celebrate Tonga. Yeah. I think it's their day. And as I say, I've been biased to them all day. Why should I stop now? For me, it's between Kitty Pulu and Neely Latu. Those two were just world class on this occasion. I think that my head's telling me to go for the guy who I think rose the occasion above everybody. And that was Neely Latu. As the captain yeah. came up with the most big moments and was just world class. I it's hard to argue. Hard to argue at all. What a bloody game that what was. What a superb game of the rugby that was. Excellent. Thank you for joining me, Mr. William Owen. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to anyone who's listened to two and a bit hours of yeah, this. Yeah, that was a bloody long boy. Please join us next week for a game that we'll hopefully do less on. England win over Samoa. <laughs> yeah, great. Excited. Fuck Can't that. wait. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bloody, maybe see you. That there. could be a hitchhiker's guide at the galaxy game. Hey. Who knows? A hitchhiker's guide at the galaxy of World Cup. Yes. We'll see you then, potentially, for that. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Good night. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. 
And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.